Some movies are highbrow, some movies are lowbrow. Welcome to Highbrow Lowbrow. I'm Josh Kirschenbaum. I'm Cooper Gagan. Each week we pick a topic and talk about two movies that fit that topic, one highbrow and one lowbrow. And this week the topic is spies. spies. Uh, sometimes uh, pronounced spies. 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 Uh, sometimes in disguise, but not in these two movies. No. Near, there are some aliens. And also, arguably, in one of the movies, not even spying. <laughs> it's uh, The movies we're talking about on the highbrow side is Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. Yep. Uh, the 2011 Gary Oldman film, not the uh, 1970s miniseries with Alec Guinness, which I... I was unaware of that. Uh, I was actually... Funny, I have... My mom lent me the Blu-ray, and me and Jess were about to start it this week, and then I realized this was also the week I had to watch Tinker, Taylor, the movie, so I... Just watch the movie. Now I'm going to watch the series. I bet it'll be actually pretty Is it also based on the same book? It's got to be. It, it is. There can't just be two people that happen to come up. Oh, t- no. Okay, it is spy based, part. Because there's the Tinker Tailor Soldier Magic Maker, whatever the fuck, rhyme that is based on. Yeah. So it's based Yeah. So based on the same book. Okay. But it's like a it's like a six episode, five and a half hour long miniseries. This really, sounds like a BBC or Channel 4 joint. It was BBC yeah. back in the day. And then they did the sequel, Smiley's People. Uh, which well because he's George Smiley I know which yeah. was the book uh, which funny enough when I watched Tinker Tailor this movie it weirdly the first thing I thought was like I want to see the sequel I want to see fucking Smiley versus Carlo like yeah. round two let's go it has a setup for a sequel yeah him, like that or at least the final shot feels like a sequel setup yeah I think that is from the like the book is like my understanding is the arc of it is Smiley. You know, Smiley's kicked out unfairly from the circus, and then his it's all about his like return because he's like the good spy. Yeah. Good at being a spy. Yeah. Morally good. That's, you know, it, moral morality is questionable in the spy land, unless you're James Bond, like in our second. In which case movie, you're lowbrow. absolutely amoral. Oh, wait, we didn't say it. The yep. lowbrow is Goldeneye. The, yep. The, Goldeneye. The, the movie that introduced to the world the Pierce, Pierce Brosnan as Bond. Obviously, he was in other stuff before that. Some people were aware of him. Yeah. Some people maybe weren't. I was not. What I didn't watch Remington Steel. Was he on TV? Yeah, Remington, Remington Steel. Steel. Was yeah. that? But that was like a police procedural. Uh, I would guess all TV shows were police procedurals until like Oz, right? Yeah, every single one. Every single it was one. that, or it was like a sitcom or it was about like, good like times. a family. Yeah, it was. <laughs> everything was all in the family, or it was uh, a police procedural. Yeah, I bet Remington and Steel. Honestly, was like a I think by. Uh, by statistically, it still is that. It's just that we don't watch very much network TV. That's true. There is like still a lot. And even non-network, I bet I would bet good money if I like really dug into the weeds of like Netflix and Amazon. Most of the shows are just like solid character actors like being detectives with like a slightly higher level of like quality. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that just the USA Network's entire pitch? Pretty much. Yeah. I, I think. I have not Characters watched welcome. a USA. I have not watched a USA show since. Monk. Did you ever watch Burn Notice? I never watched Burn Notice. I, I, I heard I should, it's good. I should check it out. Apparently, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, but that's it's. People tell me it's good. It's one of the shows that people say it's good, and I don't believe them because I think it's probably good compared to other police. What, what are you looking at? I'm looking at the plot description of Remington every once Steel. in a while. Josh will just look down at his computer and look concerned, and then I have to. Well, I looked up Remington Steel, thinking it would be a pretty. Here's the concept for Remington Steel. Uh, Laura Holt gets no respect as a private investigator. No respect. Uh, played by Stephanie Zimbalist. Uh, right. So she makes up a fictitious boss named Remington Steele, and business okay. starts flowing in. Pretty clever idea. Yeah. The only problem is a dashing and mysterious thief who assumes the Remington Steele identity and whose identity, identity, <laughs> identity, and who surprisingly is really good as a PI, especially when paired with Holt. What? So that's a really crazy. Premise. That's very high concept. For yeah. The, for I guess the late eighties. 
Uh, so I don't know. I don't really have a take on that, except that that's kind of nuts. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's kind of like Moonlighting a little bit. Have you ever watched Moonlighting? No, I remember you were really, really into Moonlighting in like yeah, 2019. I was watching. It's got a great, good-ass pilot, but it's also very high concept about PIs and also involves kind of a, not a mistaken identity, but it's kind of the same idea as, uh, oh, it's like Shit's Creek. It's basically okay. Shit's Creek, but it, where this but, but moonlighting, but 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 with a PI instead of a town, she owns a PI like a detective agency. Oh, it's this thing where like you, you forget you have have it because you're so rich, and suddenly she has to work there. Yeah, she was a former model, or she's a, I think she was a retired model, and her uh, agent just ran off with all of her money or her financial manager or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then her one of her assets, like one of her last remaining assets, she had was this PI company, and she decides to run it. <laughs> Which is basically the same setup as Shit's Creek. I mean, it's a good setup for like just put someone in a like all almost all shows are like you put either a rough person in a in a fancy place or a fancy person in a rough place. Yeah, it's like all shows. Well, that's it's high status, low status. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, which yeah. is a, a game that they we would have in like UCB training. Mm-hmm. Same thing with uh, old job, new job. Almost, almost every show is old job, new job. Yeah, which is just you have an old person who does one thing and they switch to a new thing, but they do it like they d- did the old thing. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, it's like that flying nun where there's a nun who flew. They used <laughs> that's to drop, not old job, new job. She, no, no, she you used to be a nun. Example that's not that. <laughs> she used to be a nun. And now, and now she, she flies. flies. <laughs> now she's like a functional airplane. <laughs> I don't know what the flying nun's about, but I can't imagine it makes any more sense than what I just said. Yeah. Uh, so the movies we're talking about: Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Goldeneye. Uh, All-time great title. What, not, Tinker Taylor? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think not it's GoldenEye. A, no, GoldenEye is a... It's fine. It's a fine title. It's like a bond, very Bond title where it's like a thing that makes no sense, and then you watch the movie, and they're just like, it's the name of the thing. Yeah. It's just the name of the MacGuffin, whatever. Yeah, we just came up with a cool name, and then we named... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, though some of them are more descript, easy to figure out. Like, the man with the golden gun, I'm like, okay, I know what this movie's going to be about. I mean, Goldfinger is just a guy's name. Right, exactly. His name is Auric Goldfinger. I know. It's very funny. It's really crazy. I mean, what if he wasn't into gold and he was named that? I have to imagine he changed his name, right? You're probably right. It had to. There's no way he was born Auric Goldfinger. Or maybe it's like um, Catch-22 with Major, Major, Major automatically like had to become be promoted all the way to Major and no higher because that was his name. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those like things where like life just like paves the path for you yeah. based on your name. It's actually very high highbrow in that way. It is, yes. In, in that way, Goldfinger is like Joseph Heller's Catch-22. No. Talking about Major, Major, Major just made me think of Commander Bond. It's always funny to me. I always forget that he was a commander in the Navy. Oh, James Bond? Yeah. yeah. The character is in the Navy. They they make a weird joke about his uh, Navy, about his uh, commander status in uh, GoldenEye when he, he says, I enjoy a woman who pulls rank. Yeah, I thought it was like a pulling out during sex joke, but you thought it was just he was. I think he's just into that. I think he just likes it when a woman pulls rank. He likes getting like he likes getting dominated. Some people like women with authority. It's just like it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's and I mean, hey, you know what? So do I. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's saying that to Xena on a top, which is Xenia. I mean, would that be not Xena Warrior Princess? Higher? Oh, Xenia, not Xena. Yeah, sure. I'm gonna say Zena constantly, not sure. not on purpose. I don't. I can't remember if you pronounce the I or not, but it's spelled with an I. I never clocked the I oh, okay. while they were saying it. Uh, who's a, an insane character? Uh, like a literally insane person. There's one scene when they it's when they break into the Severnaya f- facility and she starts shooting everybody and just coming because she is sexually attracted to pain. Yeah, it and, is. And, uh, it, it's weird. Yeah, I don't love it. No. 
it's very broad. Maybe if it was just a touch less broad, I would be maybe it would be maybe interesting or more broad. Like it's in this zone where it's just how like, could it be more broad? I don't know, but it's crazy enough if that it's just distracting, like, but not so crazy that it's like fun. Y- yeah, and it's and it's kind of played as it's, well. It's also played as a joke instead of as creepy. Yeah, I, maybe they're trying to be cre- creepy. I don't. Th- it feels like it's supposed to be funny because like they okay. So her whole thing is she's just like super like into like being re- weird rough sex and like killing people and, like literally sexually excites her like, yeah yeah she, yeah she's sexually aroused by causing pain right which so, is, i guess she's a sadist yeah she's in this like the sort of harley quinn zone of just like crazy dangerous and hot and like, yeah. that's like the like yeah. archetype whereas this movie it just feels like an extra thing this movie's got a lot of shit in it yeah and that feels like just some extra like this movie really feels like the gremlins to keen peel skit where they were just like every idea fits yeah just every single scene is going to be a new thing yeah oh but what i was going to say is when they walk into the facility she shoots everybody with an ak and then starts coming in her pants because as she as she do <laughs> and uh the, the russian general she's with just gives her a look like this crazy motherfucker <laughs> why what's going on like he's just tired of it <laughs> like i don't know you don't have to hire her there's probably other people who can you know Seduce people. I her the she reason seduces she, the guy. She's a pilot. That's her thing. Oh, okay, sure. They hired her because she knew how to fly the helicopter. Okay, okay. To be fair, there's probably not a lot of people who are capable spies, capable honeypot spies, and like like uh, uh, helicopter pilot. She's, her, she's also certainly pilot. the best looking helicopter pilot in the world. Yeah, good for good for the honeypot. Yeah, if only because Famke Jansen is one of the best looking people in the world, and you know she's a helicopter pilot. Uh, let's talk about the most important part of that about this movie, the part that we've been debating for days, the part that we actually rewatched the movie not ten minutes ago, not just, the whole movie, just the first just like the ten first minutes, scene. or actually the second scene, yeah, third scene if you don't count the opening credits, yeah. Uh, uh, to set this up, I just I'll, I'll hand right, this off get, to you in just a second. Okay, uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Oh, by Jean Le Carré. I'm going to get back to Golden in a second. Uh, by Jean Le Carré, he's like known for having a pretty dense plot. The movie, especially, is known for like not helping you at all and being fairly confusing, for, yes. especially for the opening. Uh, somehow, Goldeneye has the more complex and incomprehensible plot. Maybe not complex, but certainly incomprehensible. I would say it certainly has more moving parts to it. There's certainly more aspects to it. Like the the actual plot of Tinker Taylor is not that the like the, the conspiracy is not that complicated, not that many pieces. It's just really like hidden in a lot of ways it's a lot of it's, like confirming stuff you already kind of know and also the, the the timeline fuckery doesn't help you on a meta level exactly it and i kind of like that as an artistic choice that oh, you're yeah. really just in it with them and you just have to like be like you know steady and smart and figure it out yeah goldeneye just has like a lot of stuff well a lot of stuff happens that doesn't make sense yeah, because okay, let's let's talk about the thing we we're going to talk, talk about. about the thing that this, uh, this is my, yeah, that's how, the jumping off point. How does the mystery start? How does Bond find Xenia on a top and discover that she is part of the scheme? He just runs into her on the road. Right. So scene, we'll call it scene one. It's really scene two. We'll start yeah. scene one. Scene zero is the prologue. Scene yeah, yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> that's how scripts are. Yeah. James Bond is driving an Aston Martin as he does, as he do with a lady. As he do. Who is a psychologist sent by M right. to psychoanalyze Definitely him. thought he was taking a driving test for a while. Right. So it was she, not that. He was taking a psychological evaluation in a car. Yes. Like, by driving, they're going to learn his like, brain space, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we don't learn until, like, later in the movie when M just says it. Yeah. Uh, as he's driving, Xenia uh, Anatop comes <laughs> barreling in on a Ferrari. Yeah, it's a nice Ferrari. It's yeah. like Dino or something. And they basically play a big game, but like a race. And they're in Monaco. So yeah? they're 
Yeah. Where's Mon- Monte Carlo? They're Monaco. Okay, cool. Yeah, I looked it up. Okay. Uh, and so that's kind of crazy. They like make eye contact. They're like showing off. They, yeah. There's like some innuendo. Like the woman in the car is like, you're just trying to show off the size of your, and he's like, engine. And she's, she's like, like, ego. <laughs> <laughs> so then they go to, he, Bond goes to a casino. Yeah. Oh, no. First, he ends his evaluation and uh, bangs the evaluator. Yep. As he does. As he do. Yeah. He's got some champagne in the car, which is the most illegal car <laughs> modification you can have, maybe. But also kind of looks like something out of Pimp My Ride. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. That's cool. I get it. It's a beautiful car, too. It's that... I don't know. Oh, this that... is all very fun. Yeah. I, I'm not... Well, I don't love this scene. Not 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 the, like, immediately making out with everyone, but I think, yeah. like... There's a goofiness to Bond that can be fun. I think often where GoldenEye feels weird is that it is both a somewhat straightforward action movie that has like a higher level of grit than previous Bonds, yeah, while still having the Roger Moore. Yes, it, it's you get whiplash from like emotionally earnest action scenes and then like porn music playing. Oh yeah, the champagne music in, in the that car. Scene is nuts. Yeah, Xenia on the top. The champagne in the car is very much a Roger Moore. Thing because I feel like I remember there's a he has there's a submarine in one of his movies that has a plate of caviar and champagne that just comes out of nowhere and it's just like a fuck submarine. There's like a there's a a, a slapstick strain mm-hmm. through Goldeneye, which I do think is funny. I think especially in the Q scene where people are just flying or out of their chairs and blowing yes, up in the background. Those are very funny. They're good bits. Man, how did you notice how big Desmond Llewellyn's hands are? Who does is Desmond? He's cute. Q? Yeah, yeah. I did not know. Oh, he just has the biggest hands in the world. I don't know what's going on there. But also, the other funny thing is <laughs> the joke about his sandwich. Yeah, is this, that's my lunch, which is a very funny joke. Yeah. But also, it looks like he's eating just a like a subway sub. This is like Q from Q Branch, fancy British guy. Yeah, and he's just it's like just noshing on a hoagie. Yeah, yeah, that's a really really big sandwich too. It's a big. I couldn't finish that sandwich. It's a big, Big hoagie. Maybe he like just bought it, and he's like, "I'll have the rest for dinner later tonight." Maybe he bought it for the whole, for the whole. Oh, it's like one of those like three foot long. It's he, he, <laughs> bought, he just bought a six foot sub for the Q branch. <laughs> that is a funny bit. I remember that. Like there were, I had not seen this movie in a long time, and that was one of a few lines where I was like, "Oh right, I did used to watch this movie when I was a kid." Yeah. Um. So he goes. So Bond goes to Mon- to Monaco. He goes to a casino. He sees Xenia's uh, car Ferrari mm-hmm. parked outside. He sits down, flirts with her over baccarat. Yeah. Uh, and then Le bon. uh And then they flirt a little bit more after that, and then she leaves because she's doing a honeypot. Yeah, she's she's trying to seduce this admiral who has access to the ship that has the helicopter that they want. Right. And then so Bond takes some pictures, you know, runs that by Money Penny, and then they're like, he gets the info from Money Penny. Yeah. I had thought that he was in Monaco to spy on her, like in Medias Res. James Bond doing spy stuff, and that's how this was going to unravel. He was like, we need you to follow the Xenia person, and then, oh, no, it's this whole conspiracy. That would make sense. Uh, but it does not seem like that is the case. Yeah, because because this is why we're going back and forth for so long, because, A, it just makes so much sense that it would be that way. Because so many Bond movies do start like that. Yeah, and, you know, movies just, like, movies generally don't... Also, spies don't generally don't just, like, fuck around in Europe until they run into crime. Right, they have assignments. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it would make more sense. It would just be a better movie if that was true. But then he asks for permission. He gets the permission from M to mm-hmm. go forward and investigate Xenia, which implies that he didn't have it before. So he was just hanging out, gambling, and ran into crime. Yeah. Yeah. And the crime happened to be the payoff of the thing that happened nine years earlier. Yes. yes. That's also crazy. <laughs> it's such a... Um, you know, there's the Pixar rule storytelling. One of them is like coincidences can get your character into trouble, but not out of it. Mm-hmm. 
this feels like cheating though that like the whole movie just sort of happens to be like it's lucky that he got so really he gets out of trouble the trouble being i don't know where the crime is (laughs) (laughs) the the problem james bond's job is to stop crime is it basically Yeah, well, because like international crime. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like, especially later Bonds rarely deal with actual other spy agencies. Yeah. It's always just terrorist groups. Yeah. Kind of because of the nature of, you know, war now. Mm-hmm. There's not as many, like, major powers fighting each other in a in the same way as it was in the Cold War. Yeah, like, we do business with, like, all the other major global superpowers. So it's, like, weird to just, you know, like, it helped during the Cold War. There's a, there was one country whose fault everything was. And we were fighting against them. Yeah. And that was very convenient. And I mean, we're sort of fighting against them now. I think you have a shit came full circle. Yeah, yeah. We're back. Yeah. Everything old, everything from the 80s is coming back. Yeah. <laughs> the shoes, the sweatshirts, the war, <laughs> the geopolitical strife. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. It is mostly a terrorist. Story, and that's what it is in this movie. Mm-hmm. It, Although I guess Smersh was in um, the original books because um, Spectre is called like Smersh. Smersh? Yeah. S-M-E-R-S-H. That's what it's called in the books? Yep. Oh, that's really funny. Yep. <laughs> Spectre makes a lot more sense. Or is this a lot cooler? Uh, yeah. It was... Uh... Oh, wait. Maybe Smersh was a real thing. Okay, so Smersh is the fictional Russian uh, anti... It's basically MI6 with the Russians, and Spectre is okay. also the terrorist organization. Yeah. They were both from the books. Yeah. Just clarifying that. I might cut all this out. There's yeah, no reason probably. to leave it in. Restart. Welcome Reason. to Highbrow Lowbrow. High Brow Low Brow. I'm Josh Kirschenbaum. I'm Goober Gagan. Each, Each week, week we talk about theme. spies. <laughs> yep. Sometimes pronounced spies. Spies. <laughs> uh, so yeah, James Bond doesn't do a whole lot of actual spying. Yeah. I mean, in general, but especially in this movie. So I think that's what we talked about. More this of an action hero. Right. So sometimes the movies are good matches to talk about because they're doing the same thing in different like flavors, basically. Yeah. Um. You know, like, like that's my boy, and and there will be blood. But in our greatest episode to date, I I I have not looked at the numbers. I'm assuming we're at several thousand listens by now. Oh, uh, you're going to be disappointed. Not if I don't look. Okay. <laughs> uh, but these movies are so so different, and I think that's the interesting comparison point. In that, from like moment one, you sit down, and you're like, we're going to make this movie. They're going on completely different paths. Yeah. Tinker Taylor is a certain level of verisimilitude of. You know, this is somewhat like we would like you to think this is what spying is like. It's a lot more like kind of procedural. It's a lot more boring is not the word, but definitely like slower. It's a lot of just talking and figuring out information. It really is focused on intelligence. Yeah. And it's also, yeah, mostly and a lot of human intelligence of just making contacts with people and then finding out what they know and Mm -hmm. getting leverage and like blackmailing them or befriending them or whatever. Yeah. It's all about like assets and networking. Yeah. Whereas in um, in Goldeneye. It is like spies as action heroes. James yeah. Bond, the only like cat burglars, right? The only spying he does in this movie is when he's taking pictures of Xenia in yeah. that opening scene, which we established he's not there on the mission. He just—he's really just being a big old creep. Every, he's just, yeah, <laughs> he just saw a hot lady in a Ferrari. He was like, "I bet there's something going on there." Yeah. <laughs> if not, who cares? I, yeah. If not, I got pictures of her. Uh, so he. Everything else in the movie, he's basically a commando. Like he is a, yeah. um, it's like special forces. He's like a seal. He's like a one man seal team six. Yeah, they just send him into tr- tough situations with like a, a machine gun and a tuxedo, and he just gets out of there. That's how seal team six works. I, I, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean all that stuff <laughs> a bit long is all POV, so you can tell that they are in tuxedos. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I know it probably wouldn't make a lot of sense, but if the seal teams were wearing tuxedos, 
I would be very scared of that as an yeah, enemy combat. Might strike fear into the hearts of our enemies. Yeah, it or, would be or their enemies. It would be surreal. <laughs> yeah, and that would be upsetting. So really, they should wear just llama onesies or something. Yeah, <laughs> especially if they're raiding a llama farm, they'd. Oh well, then they'd be invisible. They have to do that. Yeah, it's like yeah, that, that standard issue llama onesies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's kind of a joke of that at the end of Goldeneye. When there's all the special forces guys in the ghillie suits who are in the field around Bond and Natalia as they're <laughs> maybe going to bang in a field. And I was wondering if if the American didn't approach there, would they have just had to sit there while Bond just raw dogs Natalia underneath the satellite? You have to imagine someone speaks up. That many people, someone would have been like, all right, they're, all right. They're all very right. highly trained. One, I bet one guy is like, guys, I'm a bit of a prude. This is really making <laughs> I'm a bit of a prude commando. <laughs> My my commando wife really doesn't like me watching other people have sex live. Is that wait? Is it, so his wife is also a commando. Is she also there? No. Okay. They're segregated by by gender. There's like a women commando. Okay. In this scenario. Yeah, yeah. Because if she was there, she would be like, okay, look, he's not allowed to watch this. Yeah. But he in this scenario, he's saying, like, my wife says. Yeah. Or he's just like, hey guys, I'm just gonna close my eyes. <laughs> Hopefully, they don't see me. And he's like, mm, that bush seems to be very upset by what I'm doing. <laughs> what a prudish looking bush. Yeah. Uh, so Bond, uh, not, there are other Bond movies where he does more spy things. Yeah, not although good, I gotta, not I gotta good say, not a lot of spy, like, not much more, but some more. There's a lot. There's some more like asset, uh, like trying to turn people, like Casino Royale. From, he's, from Russia with Love is also very spying heavy. Yeah, I mean the first act of Casino Royale where he's trying to like turn the um, what's name, Mad Mikkelsen's like wife. The yes. the, yeah, there's a lot of like, like yeah, he's sleeping with her. But yeah. also, he's like trying to get her to turn. Mostly honeypots. Mostly, mostly honeypots. But honeypots is a thing. Yeah, I know. There's for one sure. happens sort of in uh, in Tinker Taylor. Yeah, Tom Hardy does a honeypot. Yeah, very rare male honey. Although I guess it's not that rare because of Bond. Right. I have to imagine in real life it's quite rare. Um, I mean, it happened in the Americans too. That was written by actual CIA agent. True. Yeah. I mean, it just depends. I don't yeah. Know. Um. Oh. So yeah, like what we were talking about about. You know, Bond as action hero versus this kind of more quote realistic spy. Yeah, I think there's kind of three zones of what what spy spies as a genre means. Yeah, there's the there's spies as action heroes, which right. is almost entire. I mean, there was spy fiction for that, but I feel like at least in our culture now, almost entirely created by James Bond. Yeah, although now there's like even more advanced, like you know, the shit like Red Notice, you know, like the Netflix yeah. movie. There's a lot of movies like that that are like they're international spies. Like, like I'm not saying like. Like, Fast and the Furious, they do spy shit. Like, in Fast 7, when they go to Abu Dhabi, oh, yeah. that is a James Bond thing. They go to a party, they go under disguise, they have to steal a thing. Yeah, and I, with, without necessarily looking up the full history, it feels like so much, if, if not entirely created by James by Ian Fleming in yeah. the James Bond books, definitely, like, that's the biggest influence on the genre. You can absolutely, I think it's, it's pretty clear that at the very least, that crystallized everything. Yeah. yeah. So there's that triangle, part of the triangle. Okay. And then the other part is... Where Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is, which is the, we are the realistic spying. We are the realistic spies. Like, we do the grunt work. We're not flashy. Right. Spy work is a lot more just gathering intelligence and, like, trying to at least convince you that this is a more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. No invisible cars. But yeah. Yes. Like, you know, things happening. But still glamorous to some extent. I would say less in Tinker Tailor, but certainly another. Yeah. Tinker Tailor, it's like going so far out of its way to not be exciting. <laughs> sure. But there is still the element of, you know, Tom Hardy happens to like his his asset that he's trying to honeypot happens to be a beautiful Russian woman. Right. who He has a romance with and falls in love with, which, you know, you have to assume doesn't happen all that often. Right. Sometimes they're just 
pretty good looking Russian women who yeah. you have an affair, fall in love with, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and then the third part of the triangle is whatever the fuck actual spying is, which, <laughs> which none of no us know. <laughs> the closest we get, I think, is the Americans. Because maybe it, well, it was written by an actual one of the creators is an actual yeah. CIA agent, right? Which amusingly means every single script has to be sent to the CIA before they send it. Anywhere and they else. have a lot of character notes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they they really think that like there should be more cool CIA agents <laughs> <laughs> in this episode. All the notes are like, can he have two guns? <laughs> every note is always like CIA agents. It mentions that he pulls his gun. Maybe he could pull two, two guns. guns? <laughs> Uh, but it is, and you know, they, they, they talked pretty openly about kind of like what they've stretched the truth on and what they haven't like, you know, the big one being those, the, the Americans themselves that they're based on actually did have pretty thick Russian accents. Right. The program was not nearly as sophisticated yeah. as the show, obviously, but it is true that most spying is a lot of just like the wig work. I think is there's a lot of like just wearing wigs and shit and like trying to, it basically just convincing people to tell you things. Yeah. It's just lying to people to get, so they can give you information so you can hurt geopolitical powers. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of like pretty subtle fuckery. Yeah. Of which actually Tinker Taylor really understands, or it was really about how they're really just playing a game. It's like sports. They're kind of just trying to fuck up each other's playbooks. Yeah. They're, they're not really, we don't even really discuss what the geopolitical or like even what the ramifications are for the countries themselves. Yeah. It's really just the ramifications for the spy agencies. Yeah. It's that we're getting we're it's like, we're trying to fuck up the Russians. Russians are trying to fuck up us, but it's not about we're trying to fuck up Russia, the country. It's like, we're trying to fuck up the KGB. Yeah. It, this is absolutely a story about spies fighting spies. Like not like there's not even like a MacGuffin of like, you know, in golden eye, there's the golden eye, a big right. EMP machine. That's going to fuck up things. Also, God, why do, why is why do action movies have such a hard arm for EMPs? I don't know. They're they're less expensive than bombs, like to, to, to portray show? on screen. Yeah, you just, just have some lightning on screen. Yeah, yeah. You just show a guy like flip off the lights. Yeah, yeah. Just, just flipping the lights. <laughs> like, that's the, the electrician's like this is the best day ever. <laughs> uh, but in in Tinker Tailor, the issue is intelligence itself. Right? Yes. The, the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is about there's a mole in the British intelligence which they call the circus. Mm -hmm. uh, one of four thousand things in this movie they don't actually explain. You just kind of have to. Oh, pick they up. actually do. I re I realized that they they do explain it. It's just very very quick. Yeah, they just say like this is the circus. Well, it's they like, say it's it's really it's just they they repeat they say um there is somebody there is a mole in the highest levels of British intelligence right at the top of the circus. Oh, okay. So that's how they show you it's just in a very subtle way in that they're just stating the same thing twice but using the jargon yeah. and the non-jargon so yeah. that you can know. Yeah. But they're not saying they never say the British intelligence is called the circus. Right. It's and it, that threw me the first time I saw the movie because when they said that I thought that was like an expression of like British oh the circus is any institution. I didn't realize yeah. the circus was the name of British the British intelligence agency. Yeah. Uh, they do like it, like Carla. Uh, oh yeah, Carla is the head of the KGB, which they you just kind of have to pick up. Yeah, they never just sit down and be like, "Oh, Carla," as we all know, the head of the KGB. I know they never do that. Although it's funny, so I, so I watched this movie twice. Mm -hmm. Um, what like twice in two days? It was a lot like my experience of watching Game of Thrones for the second time. Yeah, when watching Game of Thrones the second time, when you know who all the characters are, you realize how often they're telling you stuff, but yep. you can't. You just cannot understand it because you don't have any reference point to hang it on. So yeah. it's just a bunch of like a soup of just information. And you don't know. You're like, this seems like it's important, but it's just a lot of stuff. And then later on, when you kind of know what the end is, that you could gel a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's it's much it's interesting. It's a good it's a good second watch. I would recommend it again. Oh, yeah, it is. 
I, I saw uh, Tinker Taylor for the first time in college. Uh, James Seamus came to our campus and he like showed it before it came out. Yeah. Um, and I remember at the time thinking like, he's your best band, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, above, oh, funny. My my <laughs> my best man's name is actually Seamus, but it is that is his first name. Okay. Um, James Seamus had a focus features at the time. Okay. Uh, so. He 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 knew one of the professors. I told this. I've <laughs> I literally to, I I've told this story before on mic, so listeners would know. I don't want to redo it again. Okay. I know you you're begging for me to do that. <laughs> anyway, I remember it being like a, just an intro, like an above average spy movie that was very interesting in how it was very like not holding your hand. Yeah. This time around, I think it like might be the best spy anything. Like it's like the Americans and then this. Yeah. I think pretty handily. It's tough because there's not. I mean, uh, I don't know a lot of spy stuff other than Bond, really, and yeah. a bunch of like the even more kind of fake spy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot of competition in the going for realism. Yeah, you have other like, the faux realism spy space. It's basically all other John Le Carre stuff. You know, yeah. like the Night Manager. Uh, you know, the spy who came in from the cold, uh, Most Wanted Man, stuff like that. Right. So I think this movie is. I'd, I've never seen anything like a movie that has no interest in holding your hand or in, or like really setting up the conspiracy, but it's so good. Like by the second half of this movie, you are so plugged in to everything that's going on. It just sort of like kind of unfold, not even unfold, it just sort of like it's the experience of being lost in a maze and then suddenly you realize you know where everything is. It's kind of reminds me of postmodern novels a bit. Like a pension book, mm-hmm. where or like um, Inherent Vice, because that's based on a pension novel. Yeah, uh, where it is a mystery, but it is an unsolvable mystery, and it's more about the feeling of being involved in a mystery. Yeah, where I mean, Tinker Taylor, it yeah. is more solvable. Like there is a solvable mystery in it, but mm-hmm. I think on like a scene by scene level, um, you don't necessarily need to be oriented in what the actual mystery is because it's a, it's just like very well written, very engaging, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you get the feeling you you always are you always have the feeling of where you are in the story even mm-hmm. if you don't literally exactly know where we are in the investigation yeah. like point by point like evidence by piece of evidence by piece of evidence mm-hmm. so I don't know I, even when I was lost on the first watch I was never bored I was always into it yeah I think that the thing is I mean we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Glass Onion and I think Knives Out is that I I I, I I don't care if mysteries. There's some movies you should be able to solve the mystery because that's like the point. I don't care at all, at not even a tiny bit, if a mystery is solvable in a movie. Oh yeah. There's no time I've ever watched a movie and then they revealed the mystery and I was like, that's not fair because I couldn't have guessed that myself because yeah. that's not what movies are. For no, that's, for that's true. That, yeah, that wasn't even because I didn't even necessarily mean. I don't think this is a solvable mystery, but it's also it's sometimes it's kind of hard to tell because there's like a very key point in the end of it, which is the point where Gary Oldman's character finds out the information that he needs in order to blackmail one of the people at the top of the circus in order to find the safe house. That's a very important plot element. And it doesn't really tell you exactly how he comes to the conclusion that he needs to blackmail this guy and what he's going to do it with. So it's like it's sometimes it's kind of hard to track where we even are in the investigation, even if it's not about us trying to solve it, just knowing what everybody knows. Yeah, because it's all just... The movie is really kind of asking you constantly, like, who is George Smiley? George Smiley being Gary Oldman, the main character. Yeah. Oh, we solved it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. We did. So he, the beginning of the movie, he like gets kicked out of the circus because uh, some shit went wrong. He was con- control, also a thing that's hard to track. There's a man whose name is Control. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Luckily, by John I, see, I just happen to know that from other spy stuff. Yeah. So he gets kicked out. Uh, some shit goes down. He gets kicked out. Smiley goes with him. He's his guy. Smiley 
then gets <laughs> it's also hard to read when he gets kicked out because he just says oh someone should know when to leave the party and i was thinking oh he's gonna leave the room now <laughs> right so that's another so he just leaves yeah he comes so and then he you know we, he just gets invited back we need you to uncover the mole control's dead but we think he thinks that there's a mole we have in evidence that he might be right mm-hmm. there's never like a uh, uh, you know, like in in Goldeneye, that that car racing scene that we talked about, that's right. insane. That does set up Bond's character. He's reckless. He's sexy. He likes champagne. Like yes. you get a sense of this man. Yeah. At no point during the first act of Tinker Taylor do you really get a sense of George Smiley. And I think no. what the kind of what's fascinating about the movie is, I think that's like the theme of it is like, who is this guy? You know, as he gets, wh- how good is he going to be at investigating? What are the moral choices he's going to make? When does he let his guard down? Yeah. You know, what it would it mean to be the kind of person who can play this spy game? Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, and kind of how his one element of weakness is his relationship with his wife. Yeah. And that's the one thing that fucks him up. Right. And not even in such a way that's like, it's like tough and it's like emotionally kind of devastating when all that comes out, mm-hmm. but it's not really like heightened and it's not like he's like screaming and crying about it. No. He's just like, oh yeah, that's right. That was blind spot. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what makes the movie kind of so brilliant. Like even if you never know, not a hundred percent sure what he's doing, like in the meta arc, mm-hmm. uh, or just the arc, you always know what he's doing in the middle of a scene usually. Yeah. And you always are kind of fascinated to learn how he's going to react to stuff. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. It's like on a on a micro level within a scene, it's always like yeah. you can always orient yourself within a scene if sometimes it's hard to orient that scene within the overall plot of the movie. Yeah, uh, I think um, I, it's just so fascinating, this movie. There's so mm-hmm. many moments, especially later on, that I think are just kind of like, I mean, the big centerpiece of the movie to me is the scene where uh, Smiley uh, gets Peter Gwillem played by Peter Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Fuck, I, I always fumble over that name. Uh, like after uh, some shit goes down mm. and they just like drink together and that's the only time he right. really kind of like drops his guard. Well, then he has this very interesting moment where he's actually very theatrical as a character mm-hmm. because he sits down and has the fake conversation with the fake Carla, like the invisible Carla sitting across from him. Yeah. And it's funny because that's just a very, that would be a strange thing to see a person do mm-hmm. in that moment and it's it's just very theatrical as as the character. Yeah, because that's that's the only time we really get like a very clear look at who he is and like who's behind there. And I think it's very telling to his character that the only time he kind of drops his guard is to Peter, because yeah. I think there's this kind of theme of this movie of like I see Peter and Ricky, the John Hardy character, mm-hmm. as, as they're like like they're like Smiley's like sons. They're like the two paths you could go on in this spy game. Whereas yeah. Peter, I think, ends up being kind of like the the pure protege who goes his his smiley's direction of being mm-hmm. more shut down, more closed off. Uh, and whereas Ricky is like, I don't want to be, he's like full of life. And he's like, I don't want to be like you fuckers. I want to just fall in love and get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, so it, it was, there's something like kind of devastating about him only opening up to someone else specifically in such a way that leads him to say, like tighten your shit up and like get rid of the love of your life. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause yeah, he's talking about how the only other time he ever opened up, was by accident, and it caused all of the events of this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. he opened up to Carla just trying to turn him, but also revealing more of himself is what he yeah, says. And Carla he, just steals his lighter and fucks off. Yeah, he's trying to be empathetic. He's trying to use empathy to lure Carla to defect to Britain. Right, before he was Carla, when he was just a guy. 
Yeah. He was like an agent. Who he had was a going, fake name or something. Yeah, yeah, he was an agent who was going to be likely going to be killed. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he's trying to like in, when you're trying to empathize with somebody, you're trying to find what you have in common. He keeps on harping on about the wife and Carla just he says, oh, he's got issues with his wife because he won't shut up about it. Right. And that ends up paying off. That ends up paying off. That's the whole movie. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's like in this mini struggle to find the mole is this meta struggle between George Smiley and Carla. Carla, yeah. who you never actually see this face. You see kind of like a little bit of his side in one shot. Yeah. He's just like an old guy. Yeah. Uh, and he, I don't think he has any dialogue even in the movie. No, you see his boots. Yep, you see his lighter, which was Smiley's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> right, because he's in the cafe. Yeah, he's in the cafe, and I believe, and he mentions that um, Predo, Mark Strong's character, mentions that he sees the lighter. Yeah, when he was uh, being interrogated. Right. Well, yeah, because he, because that's when you, you see his boots from behind when he walks in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of high level of psychological realism with Tinker Taylor, really interesting characters, really closed off, devastating stuff. Uh, James Bond. Not yeah. not that. No. Not at all. Doing the highbrow lowbrow has nothing in common. with. I mean, I think the man has no really interiority as a character until I, somewhat recently, kind of. Well, I I mean, he gets married in... Um, in uh, George on his Majesty's Secret Service, right? I, I've not seen the Lazenby. Yeah, so that's people a, really ride for that movie. That might be one of my top uh, classic Bonds. Yeah, I think he's actually really good, and it's uh, that movie also is like even shot interestingly. Yeah, it looks kind of it looks pretty cool. Yeah. So, but yeah, he's not a character that has a lot going on. He's mostly just there to be cool. I think to me, and the thing I often, I mean, I like James Bond movies. They're all they're all a good time. Yeah, but I, they kind of feel like just repainting the same car with the colors of the day. Yeah. Which is brings me to your point that I know you've been really excited to bring up that this movie is basically just Jurassic Park. It just looks like <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yes. Uh okay, so I think that is like definitely just part of the production or the uh the development process of a Bond movie is mm -hmm. that the broccolis just fuck around the world doing rich people shit and then they see something cool and they bring it back and they say, We're gonna put this in the movie now. Uh or they take whatever movie is kind of popular at the time and they kind of try to dovetail it in there. Which even in the most recent ones, like Casino Royale, was they saw Born and we're like, we're going to do Born now. Mm -hmm. uh, and in this one, it just looks like they saw Jurassic Park and said, we're going to do Jurassic Park now. Because I mean, a lot of the stuff in the facility, in the end, at the big like dish in the, big the computer in the room. dam, yeah, the big computer room looks like the computer room that Newman works in in Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. There's even there's like a scene where even Natalia like pokes her head up out of some bushes and it kind of looks like one of the scenes from Jurassic Park. Yep. Uh, Pierce Brosnan's wearing pretty much a Sam Neill cosplay in the last third of the movie and all the ha dumb hacker stuff. Yeah. All the dumb computer stuff with the passwords, very like, nah, uh, uh, from Jurassic Park, like the Newman thing. It is really funny that one of the legacies of Jurassic Park was bad computer shit. Yeah. Because, like, not, I mean, obviously a lot of more CGI movies come in, action things come after that, plenty of dinosaur stuff come after that. But mm -hmm. the thing anyone can just do is bad computer hacking. Yes. <laughs> anyone can do that on a budget. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it, they even, the even like dumber ways to have computers that you talk to, which we, I guess we talked about with war games because they had that computer that they talked to. Yeah. Um, but well, that's explicitly like an AI. That's like the point of the computer. Yeah, yeah. Um, most computers in that movie don't do that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Only one talks to people. Oh, that's a, the way that they're hacking is so bizarre because a lot of it's just about guessing passwords that he sets. 
Oh, which yeah. I guess is kind of like real hacking because a lot of real hacking is just trying to guess people's passwords. Oh, well, yeah. The whole thing is like earlier he says like I have this password for my like scrambling thing, and then later she's like I'm gonna remotely get into a scrambling program and like, yeah. hack it by guessing. And James Bond just immediately guesses the butt pun that he's going for. Well, just what do you sit on but don't take with you? Yeah, obviously that's a chair. That's not even a hard. What else? You could take a chair. I mean, you usually don't. Like, okay, so what is it? Chair, couch. I thought is chair also a slang term for butts? I don't think so. I think th- I guess the joke was that the the thing was that this time it wasn't uh, a a like a a naughty pun. <laughs> uh, so James Bond. Um, okay. Here's my thing on James Bond. Mm. Uh, there's a there's a, a a funny like tweet that go has gone around about anime. That's basically like it's really tough to recommend anime to people because every anime has got a different level of anime bullshit. Yeah, and you don't know what anybody's like blind uh capacity for that is that's true of bond that is a hundred percent how i feel about bond every bond movie's got a certain degree of just weird of like bond bullshit and yeah. you just don't know what you're in the mood for that day yeah what you want like and you because you kind of have to like be there and explain like no this is a reference to other bond stuff this is just what they do yeah like there's a there's gadgets i don't it's just because this was from a book series from the 60s yeah it's like watching a movie that is ostensibly although a very light-hearted action movie also, like, has a level of, like, everyone's pretty serious about stopping these guys. Yeah. To, like, stop to do, like, Xena on the top jokes. Yeah. It's not dissimilar to trying to show a friend some anime and they do, like, a beach episode with, like, a lot of boob shots. And you're like, look, I'm telling you, this show is really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Casino Royale might have the least amount of uh, Bond bullshit. It's... What, what's the Bond bullshit in Casino Royale? I mean... There's, I guess there's, that's the one where they really tried to be as gritty as possible. Yeah. There's still a lot of him just like randomly making out and fucking people. Yeah, that's true. He does have, it, you know, yeah, the the, uh, the womanizing is always part of it. Yeah. Even in like, um, I think it's Quantum of Solace is the one where like, yeah, it's like him and Olga Kurilenko escape and then like the seduction scene is she's in the shower and then he just like walks into the shower also naked and starts like making out. Yeah. And you just have to do a headcanon of they probably talked about this ahead of time. Yeah. I, yeah <laughs> there think, must have been interest expressed before this moment. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um I guess well well the other thing, I guess also the amount of black tie events that James Bond attends as a spy. Yeah. Yeah. More than uh, maybe any spy. Why would a spy ever go to a black tie event? Well, that, well, that's yeah. So like Casino Royale, if there is a James Bond bullshit thing about him, it is the entire concept of the movie that the only way to save the world is to dress gamble? up, gamble. Yeah, he's a play play poker, a game that you can just fucking lose. Yeah, just because he's the spy who happens to be good at poker. Yeah, <laughs> they don't try and do a thing like we're going to spy on his cards and feed you the information or whatever. They're just like. James, the, uh, be get, good at poker. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. get one of those hats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like promotes his website. Yeah, yeah, poker stars. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh right, I forgot that the entire framing premise of Casino Royale is a giant bullshit James Bond <laughs> thing that you have to deal with. And it's and and to varying degrees, depending what you're in the mood for, depending on how play it works for you, like it all works, but it's all silly bullshit. It's fantasy. Yes. Yeah. And it just sort of depends kind of because like sometimes I bet I'd be in the mood to watch Goldeneye and just be like, this is all like ridiculous and a lot of fun. And I do think the action as an action movie, it's I think very good. Yeah. Um, Whereas sometimes I'd be more in the mood for something like actually somewhat serious or to just watch some insane Roger Moore stuff. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it has very little to say about spying, although perhaps in that it doesn't happen in this film, although perhaps the. The more interesting thing is, what does it say about our culture that the only thing we want to watch spies do is be cool and hot and not spy? 
Yeah. Is it do we just not want to think about the actual gritty, I mean, boring reality of what spy work is? Because I think it's kind of like I, I, it's like uh, Tinker Taylor is kind of the Barney Miller of spy movies, where it's just about all of the. It's about all of the. It's it's a cop show where they just do like paperwork and shit all the time. It's okay. like the very boring. Th- thank you. I I did not understand that. <laughs> of all the references you go out of your way to explain Barney Miller, you're like everyone will know what that is. <laughs> uh, it's just like going through the really nuts. And, like, maybe it's more like the like the wire. It's like the wire of yeah. of. Um, actually, the wire is actually very similar. Where it's very much about surveillance about slowly gathering information to make a case yeah and also similarly confounding for the first act yeah yeah the first few episodes of the wire just like i don't know what the fuck is happening yeah and it's uh yeah i mean it's a lot of the same elements as a like a mystery or a like like uh, yeah a mystery movie Mm -hmm. where you're just trying to gather information trying to figure out what's happening Mm -hmm. i don't know I, i i have this whole like thing where it just in general there's a lot of like there's a whole sub genre of uh content that is the stuff that secret people are doing to keep the world safe. Yeah. And I think that varies a lot. I mean, you have Bond, obviously, but then you also have, say, Jack Ryan, you know, 24. Yeah. Uh, the Americans, and I think I think what, the, what makes the highbrow side highbrow and what makes the, the Jean Le Carré stuff interesting is how embedded it is in the actual spy work itself. Yeah. Is that it's actually about spying what that means. Like, what does it actually mean to a man to have two lives? To have to like change their identity and lie constantly, mm-hmm. to like have this extra side of morality just to get a slight edge on these other faceless people somewhere on the other side of the world, uh, and I think Tinker Taylor very gradually but very strongly digs into that. Yeah, uh, I think James Bond, even the quote unquote serious. Well, he doesn't ones, even ever use a pseudonym. Right. Okay, that's <laughs> the biggest fucking thing. Is that James Bond just walks in the room and says, hi, I'm James Bond. Right. And they all know he's James Bond, the spy. Right. Which is, just means he's not a spy. Right. I mean, he's, he's just a guy. Right. It isn't so much that he ever does spy work. It's, I guess, occasionally trying to like get intelligence from people. But he, he doesn't certainly doesn't do that in Goldeneye. No. And that's, yeah. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying Goldeneye is a bad movie for that. I am. I think Goldeneye is a fun action movie. Okay. I think it's, I think it's an okay. I don't know. I don't think it's a great movie. I mean, my, my take, I said, is basically that. Gold Casino Royale, the first Craig movie, basically did everything Goldeneye did for Bond, but better. And which is yeah. why Gold, like you know, re- making it a little more serious, a little more glamorous, a little more like really uh, instituting more action. Like Goldeneye is a huge step up in just the quantity of action for a James Bond movie. Like yeah. the like the the tank chase scene and that level of explosions and like actual like, I think there's a kitschiness to Bond action before the. Brosnan years. Yeah. From what I from my understanding. I have not seen all of them. Yeah. I actually seen none of the Daltons, so I, I don't know. Maybe the Daltons are just uh, fucking crazy. Uh Dalton's fun because it's basically like how we were saying this one they saw Jurassic Park in Casino Royale, they saw Born. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's uh not the maybe the Living Daylights, I forget which one of him. One of them they just saw Miami Vice. And they just did that. And they did that. So mm-hmm. he's fighting a drug cartel. It's very gritty. A lot of people get very violently killed. Is that the one with um, um, Christopher Walken. I know he's in one of them. He's in a view, view to a kill. A view to a kill. Yeah. Is that, he, is that Dalton? That's Moore. Okay. But like old Moore. Oh yeah, that makes sense. He's like very old in it, so it would make sense for it to be somebody other. But he's but like it was more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I do think also part of it is that um, Goldeneye is maybe the peak of just having really big stunts, as yes. opposed to so there's like the big stunts and there's like kind of the action sequences or maybe like hand like hand to hand combat gunplay that sort of action sequence yeah 
And then there's like the giant stunts, like the bungee jumping from a from a dam. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the earlier ones, you have stuff like Little Nelly, which is like the the portable helicopter he has. Yeah. Just weird, weird bullshit stunts. And I think Casino Royale really stripped down that a lot. I can't think of as many uh, big the, stunts. It's really the car, the car, flipping the car was the big one. Yeah. Um, which was like those all over those trailers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was not as big. Uh, in ter- it, it's so interesting because I feel like there was that stretch in the 90s where like, which is kind of gone now of action movies that are like, can you believe someone did this? Like yeah. showing someone jumping, bungee jumping off of a, a dam mm-hmm. in the opening of Goldeneye. That was like huge. Like yeah. They very clearly set up that shot as like, can you believe this shit? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a thing for a while. Like movies would be like, look at the cool stunts we're doing. I mean, that's now that's like it's just Tom Mich- Cruise's zone. Yeah. It's just Mission Impossible. And, and it's specifically and Fast and Furious. But but interestingly, well, Fast and Furious isn't like look at the crazy stunt. It's like yeah, that, where the cars drop out of the planes. I like, feel they like, practically did that. I feel like that they pushed that less. Like the James Bond stuff is like, and especially I remember um, like Tomb Raider. They would like promote the movie as like, can you believe the stunt we're doing? Like mm. the ads would say, this has the biggest stunt you've ever seen. Yeah. Whereas and Tom Cruise explicitly does that. Really. I feel like with Tom Cruise, it's not just that they're doing stunts; it's that he's doing the stunts. Mm-hmm. Like he, Tom Cruise, who is not a stunt guy. Look at me, you know. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Jackie Chan's kind of like that too a bit. Yeah. It's like there was this whole stretch of can you believe? And we as a culture don't really do that as much just because everything's more CGI now or we are less impressed by seeing things on screen because the level of spectacle is so high. Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah, 1995, guy jumps off a bridge, set piece of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Someone wants a Tokyo Drift in a tank. The tank sequence is so crazy because can you imagine the war that would ensue if a a secret agent did that? Because he was just actually like committing a act of war on another country because he was driving a tank around Russia. Yeah, like that would just start a war. (laughs) That's not spying anymore. That's just being some sort of deranged super soldier slash terrorist. Well, he's also chasing after a guy who just killed uh, another Soviet general, right? That other guy like takes the gun and shoots him. Right. Yeah. So I guess in theory you could write that off as yeah he's he's a British spy who stole a tank but he's chasing after a, he's helping the Russians. Yeah. Yeah. On the, he's but on the side of the Soviet. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. He is fighting on the side of the Soviet Union at that point. I guess. Well, the fuck is this movie about? Well, that's the funny thing about uh it that about uh, Goldeneye is that it is both they both try to have this game of like you know still being a cold war movie but it's like a guy within the soviet union or i guess it's just russia at this point yeah who is like bad and then he instantly splinters off and becomes a terrorist actually cuz he already is like a terrorist he's just like under disguise yeah he's i mean talking about moles this movie's also kind of about moles and traitors and yeah, betrayals yeah se- but it's all on the side of the russians that there's a secret terrorist yeah or yeah. and i mean and uh, what's his name Sean Bean oh yeah Sean Bean yeah right well cuz then cuz he wasn't a mole when he was British intelligence, he flipped after. No, he flipped previous. Well, the opening of the movie, he like gets killed. Oh, but he, that, he, that was, was set a, up. He was the double agent. In that. Yes, he yeah. was the double agent setting up all of that to happen. And Bond was supposed to die there. Right. All the, sh- but then he's like pissed at Bond about it. Yeah. All the Sean Bean stuff makes no goddamn sense. Oh yeah. It, it, uh, not at all. Well, because you think like even a casual background check would have uh, found that out when Bond's like, "How did you not know that he was from Russia?" They'd be like, "I don't. We just didn't ask." No, no, no. They, they. He says they knew. Yeah. That they just didn't care. Right. That they thought I was too young to like have like this, uh, uh, like a grudge about it because like his parent. He thought like his parents died so young or whatever. Yeah, I feel like you would just not hire him to be a special agent at that point. Yeah. Interestingly, I if there's think a question. This is a thing that. Um, 
so Tinker Taylor also has betrayal stuff. And we'll get into the mole and the motivations in a second. But just in the Bond verse, Skyfall does a similar beat of a former spy uh, who is like turned against, you know, the good guys. Yeah. But that movie actually kind of tries to dig into his motivations and how he feels personally betrayed right. by M and by all the like, you know, the 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 toll of living in this violent world and all of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas with with uh, whatever's fucking name, I'm gonna call him Sean Bean. With Sean Bean, yeah, secret agent Sean Bean, Alex Trevelyan, Sean Bean. This is the one movie where I can remember <laughs> everyone's name. Which is astounding because they're really hard Russian <laughs> names. I've been around Russian names all of my life. His motivation is seems to literally be that like, like a broader geopolitical issue of like decades ago, the British betrayed the Soviets in some the way. Cossacks, yeah, the Cossacks. Yeah, it's like really in depth to the Soviet stuff. So, and I guess is this was Goldeneye. Goldeneye was one of the ones they still do were doing from the books, right? Oh, they don't I start don't... going original until later. Uh, I. I can't imagine there being a book with an EMP in it, but with like a satellite weapon. I don't think it was one of the ones. No, no, no. It was, it was uh certainly not an Ian Fleming book. Was it? No, it was adapted into a book. It was not one of the influence. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, okay. it's too tech. It's too like technologically too techy, too tech based to be an Ian Fleming thing. Yeah. I was going to say maybe there was a version where it's just like a satellite and they add the EMP stuff, but yeah, no, no, it's yeah. just taking pictures. Yeah. No, it's just interesting how they like do try and have this Cold War element. They do try and be in this betrayal element, but it's really kind of like wonky yeah. in such a way that it doesn't really like track as an actual betrayal. Like it, well, it does not make you feel things about the concept of loyalty, like the way that Tinker Taylor does, or the way that Skyfall does. Yeah, well, also because it's pretty abstract the way that he feels betrayed because it yeah. happened before he was born. Right, and it was like the whole British Empire. It wasn't like individual, and and his plan is just to kind of steal sh- money. Well, okay. That's a great question. Uh, how does he plan to make money? So he, by slanting off an EMP. He says he's his plan is basically Bane's plan in Dark Knight uh, Rises to reset the money. Well, remember he steals a bunch of money at this and like uses like the and then takes out the stock market and like uses that to like steal as like a distraction to steal Bruce Wayne's money. He's basically going to steal a bunch of money and then EMP London so they can't trace it. Where is he stealing it from? I think he's hacking. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay, because but also he wants to just devastate London. He yeah. mentions like, well, I'm all, this is also going to get rid of everyone's messages." And I mean, yeah, that's also kind of the cop out because, like, at for a second he says, "Don't worry, we're going to make a lot of money," mm-hmm. and then later on he instantly flips, says, "Actually, I just want to nuke London." Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. The money never mattered. But then I was just thinking, but but how did you? How are you pretending to be able to make money? <laughs> I guess. Building up to my big point here oh, okay. about James Bond and spies in general, it's just so interesting to me that with spy stuff, you either get movies that are like really good at being about the actual like mental toll and darkness inherent in this like work, mm-hmm. or you get movies that are you they're ostensibly like about spies, yeah, but really go out of the way to not be about anything, yeah. Like most James Bond movies, much like Jurassic, Park. and I say this with love, yeah. are just kind of an excuse to do Bond shit. Yeah. And that's fine. And that's awesome often. Yeah. Uh, I know you have mixed reviews on this one, but I think it's like, it's a lot of fun, but no, it I is, love Bond in general. This movie is literally scene to scene. It is so much uh, and then and not and so. It yeah. So much. And I mean, now this is going to happen. Especially with the beginning that we were talking about with all of him just running into the main villain when he's just randomly driving around, taking a driving test. Yeah. He's got to renew his license. Yeah, and then it, it really just feels like they wrote that scene and then never connected to anything else. And then they're just like, what? If, well, we need Bond in a casino flirting with a lady. 
And then he does that. Yeah. Does it make sense? No. No. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, okay, now let's have the big explosion scene. Now he's going to steal a tank. Now, like, he goes to Robbie Coltrane, mm-hmm. uh, Hagrid. And, right. Right. Uh, and the castle oh, whole God. scene. They, like, set up All a the thing shit there. in Russia. He, he sets up, like, a plan. Like, they're going to do, like, a heist or something. Right. Like, and I don't even remember why he's doing Oh, that. yeah. Many drivers in that scene. Yeah. Uh, so they set to back to my point. He, yeah. He's setting up like a heist, the whole plan. And then it never happened because they just get like abducted. Right. What is anyone doing in this movie? I know. Well, yeah, nothing, <laughs> nothing follows out. Yeah, you're right. It's just, and then, um, actually I was thinking, I was thinking that is strangely kind of a point of intersection between these two movies is that they both have seedy Russian clubs that they're surveilling people at. Yeah. That they're, I, they have nothing to do with each other, really. I, I also think this, a, a point, of, an example of a point of comparison that means nothing. I think Minnie Driver's character is also named Irina, which is the name of Tom Hardy's. Oh right, choice. yeah. Like his like doomed love. So highbrow, lowbrow. Let's do arenas. Highbrow, lowbrow, arenas. Lowbrow Irina, played by Minnie Driver. Yeah, who is the least <laughs> Russian person? Has no point, no reason to be in that movie. She's just kind of there to be. It's like she's like a like a like a like a nag. That's like a joke. She's like yelling at they, Robbie Coltrane. Her, the joke is also that they're doing bad karaoke, like bad American singing yeah. as Russians. I guess also just, I mean, she's British, right? Yeah. I, as a British actor, it's probably exciting to be in a Bond movie. Yeah. Maybe it's that. But it's weird. Yeah. It's like, an, I don't think Minnie Draver was a huge name at the uh, yet, but she was a name. Was that 95? Before Oscar? Yeah, that was that was two years before uh, Goodwill Hunting. Oh shit! So maybe that was like a huge. This is how she got Goodwill Hunting. Good at Will Hunting. This is how no, that's how she got the role. Oh, I thought you said good at Will Hunting, and I'm like, oh god, is that a joke? (laughs) I'm like, am I dumb? (laughs) Why can't I understand this? Good at Will Hunting. So that means you're hunting for wills. So is that like a is that like a kind of like honeypot thing where you're trying? It's actually it's the Lady Killers. Yeah, the Lady Killers should have been called Good at Will Hunting. (laughs) Highbrow Arena. Yeah. Uh, and Tinker Taylor, you know, she's like this uh, also married to a or like engaged with like a, a shitty Russian guy. Yeah. She's like the abused wife of this horrible Russian guy. It was just, you know, similar to it's weird that this one scene is the nexus, the only point of intersection <laughs> of these two movies. Um, but obviously her whole plot line is like on a structural level. It, I find it so interesting. Basically, they they find Ricky Tar. We barely know who this guy is. Yeah, we just know he's somehow how they started to be on the hunt for the mole, mm-hmm. right? And we know that like everyone's looking for him, and we don't know why. Yeah, and he just sits down and just tells a very long story. Yeah, he says, "Here's my tale." Yeah, and uh, it's fucking rough. Yeah, <laughs> and Irina Irina is like such a nexus point of morality for this movie because I think one of the really big moments, like emotionally, is when Ricky when. Uh, Smiley already knows Arena is dead. Yes. And Ricky's like, I'm going to agree to do this plan to go to Paris to flush out the mole as long as you do whatever it takes to get Arena back. And he because says I just he'll want to live try as hard as he can. He says, basically. I'll do my utmost. Yeah. Yeah. He knowingly lies to Ricky, but yeah. gives him or no he gives hope. Him like a half truth because he will try as hard as he can. He will do his utmost, but Which his is utmost nothing. is nothing. Yeah. It yeah. is 99% a lie. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, that is the moral choice there. If you're trying to, if, if, you need to have a functional British intelligence, otherwise the world bad things will happen to the world, which yeah, is the assumption. Certainly the British. Certainly, certainly the British. Oh, and the Americans, which is a, a subplot of this movie. Right. Um, not the Americans, like you know, the I think American. We got that. Yeah, we okay. got it. Okay, it's okay, Josh. Like the actual Americans. Yeah, yeah. Like, the like us, like you and me. Yes, not like you know, like the secret Russian Americans. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because they're not Americans. No, but are they? Yeah, like thematically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Oh man, my, my favorite scene. <laughs> oh my god, what? <laughs> um, my favorite scene in that show is him line dancing. It's so good. It's great. It's so good. At any any time where Philip is like trying to like kind of be an American, yeah, like all the like him going to Est is super interesting. Was he the one that went to Est? Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought uh, Carrie Russell. I thought Carrie Russell did. No, it was him because he went with. Um, Noah Emmerich's ex-wife, I believe, oh, like had a friendship. Maybe I'm like conflating the ex-wife and her. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I could be wrong. I haven't seen the show since it came out, and I was like, watching. No, it's that. it's been a while. And the, the S thing is like such kind of a small throwaway plot line. Yeah. It's also funny that S is a cult. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not that. I just I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, a guy who is indoctrinated into basically a cult and like the KGB. Yeah. Is just searching for another cult because he's like, in pain. Yeah. Like cultural, like morally in pain. Well, it's, it makes sense. Like. And people who are attracted to kind of cults and yeah. I mean, to some extent, you can even think of these intelligence agencies as cults in a way and that they have their kind of like warped. I mean, they are very cult like in yeah. a lot of ways, um, but people who are attracted to those groups are kind of seekers who are looking for somebody to tell them what to think, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, but, yeah, it kind of makes sense because, like, actually, it kind of gets into the John Le Carre. Mm-hmm. His the way that he writes and that he, it's very jargon heavy. Yeah, and I think I saw like part of an interview where he was saying that none of it's actually not, a lot of it's not necessarily like you know true to life perfect jargon that mm-hmm. they actually use in the intelligence agencies, but it is the same feeling as they are very jargony. Yes, it's not, it's not they don't necessarily say these specific things, mm-hmm. or like they don't necessarily do whatever a lot of these operations in this specific way. But it's like when you're talking with people who are in the same industry, it is hard to understand them. Yeah. And it's really just getting across that experience. But in the funny thing is like a, the way it relates to cults is that one way that cults operate is that you just you become so jargon heavy that it isolates you from the rest of the world. And that you just like if you're talking to a Scientologist, it's hard to talk to them because they t- have all their like weird terms that you don't understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to keep them within the fold of their own group, yeah. which is also true of these intelligence agencies because they have to stick together and they have to not trust anybody in order to function. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have I don't have a, a good response to that except that I'm really excited for a cult episode because I think I can. Probably, Everything's a cult. I think I could probably just like set up like a little like inflatable like doll here and just like <laughs> go fuck off, go hang out at mom's for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> mom's is a bar for those of you listening. I'm not. My mom doesn't live here. I can't. And I'm not. Don't know. You're gonna take a flight. <laughs> I drop off the balloon. Go to LAX. Fly back to New York. Come back. You're still talking about cults. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't. The way that these the way that these spy agencies at least in fiction, they, they kind of function on like an element of brainwashing, an element of you have to just trust that what we're doing is this very important work and we can't tell you why. Right. Which is, I mean, a very, I mean, that seems to be like any movie that is about spycraft or is about the nature of being a spy is about that fact. Yeah. And about, yeah, and you're saying the double life mm-hmm. and that and all that. And I think that especially, that theme is really present. It's sort of present in GoldenEye, but I'll get to that in a second. In... In Tinker Tailor, when you here's a spoiler for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the mole is Colin Firth's character, Bill Hayden. What? And the, there's a great scene at the end where Smiley sits down with him and they ba- and says like, "Why did you do it?" And his motivation is kind of that he's like kind of worn down. Like he just says, "I had to pick a side." He also says it's, it's an aesthetic his, choice as much as a moral one, which uh, is interesting. I, I think that's the uh, I think that's the exact quote. I have it written down here somewhere. It was aesthetic choice as much as a moral one. The West has grown so very ugly, don't you think? Yeah, which is. To me, just like he was just so worn down by this like moral like morass that he was in, right? Or, abyss is probably the better word. A morass too. Abyss, morass. Yeah. 
Yeah. What's, what's, what's an abyss? A morass, a morass could be in an abyss. <laughs> what's an abyss or in a morass between friends? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and it makes sense because it's kind of like familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. In that just I don't know, when you're dealing day to day with all the ugliness and you see you see all the ugliness of your country, the way your country operates behind the scenes. Yeah. You can start to kind of mythologize the enemy because you don't see their ugliness. Yeah. Um, and that's what, what was happening with him. It's like they're. And late early on, Oldman says it to Carla. Yeah. When he says, our sides are the same. Like, we're both poorly functioning and evil in the <laughs> same way. You might as well just come to my side. Yeah, we'll, like, give you stuff. We'll protect your wife. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know. It's just so interesting to me that, like, that's, this this movie is, like, all about the toll that it takes to, like, be a spy and to have a double agent, uh, double lives, and to be in this sort of non-moral world. And the motivation is exactly that, that a guy who just like can't handle not all the stuff he's like being asked to do or like the world that he's in, that he's just like, I'm just going to come down hard on one side because at least that's doing something. Yeah. And he wants to make his mark. Yeah. And which is kind of like the same, it's kind of like the same uh, rationale that like domestic terrorists have where it's just, I, I just want to do something that is memorable. Right. I can't just sit here and do nothing. I've got to do something. Yeah. And, or even just like, if, yeah, or like by doing something evil. I will at least be remembered for it. Yeah. Where in, in Goldeneye, I mean, we also have a traitor. We also have the, the you know, the theme of morality. But, like, in, in Skyfall, they do that with the same idea of, like, I have turned against the British intelligence because of all the crazy shit they asked me to do. Yeah. But in Goldeneye, it's just I was always anti-British because I'm a Cossack. Right. Yeah. And, like, the, the, Brit, the, the mole on the Soviet side, the commander, he's just kind of a bad guy. Uh, he wants to be rich it's all money yeah although i am still gotta say mildly (laughs) unclear on how he plans on making money right well he's gonna use an emp yes yes and emps famously print money (laughs) (laughs) the best way to make money is to erase all of it i thought he was gonna blackmail i forgot about the plan i thought he was gonna like dr evil style blackmail the world that would make sense or all like emp everything it's tough because he abandons the plan immediately so we don't really know we only get maybe a couple lines of dialogue explaining what the plan was supposed to be before he immediately doesn't do it. <laughs> um, okay, here's another point of comparison, mm. which I think we'll get us talking more about Tinker Tail. Like once, once again, there's so much shit that's technically in Goldeneye, but like on such a surface level. Yeah. And in this one, like you have like this um, a little bit of understanding of the past. Like there's one scene where M, you know, says like you're a dinosaur of the Cold War. Right. Know, things weren't like they used to be or whatever. Which is funny that that's a recurring theme of every fucking in Bond, Bond <laughs> that Bond is so outdated because he's been outdated for like six decades at this point. I think going back to this has really made me realize that the Craig years were kind of just a retread of the Brosnan years, but with like... Which more, is better. Yeah, just like better. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say I really, really like uh, Pierce Brosnan's performance as Bond. Uh, I think he is like a pretty definitive Bond to me just in terms of like... Like, if I had to, like, just be, like, a off-the-rack, this is James Bond, it would be him. I think he That's has, like, a really good mix of all the different, like, elements of it. He feels like more of a a um, descendant of the Moore Bond to me. To me, he's, like, this. He's like a little bit of the silliness and, like, fun of the Moore Bond, but with kind of, like, the dashingness of, like, Connery mm. a little bit. Yeah. Whereas I think, like, like Daniel Craig is just, like, just he's just sexy. Like yes. That's his thing. He's sexy. He's the sexy Bond. <laughs> he's the he's the absolutely cut up Bond. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like Brosnan is just sort of like you know the, like I said the definitive the all the pe- they're not just one take just like 
all the things that make up Bond are within the Brosnan performance. Too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but also, I mean, he's the Bond I grew up with. So yeah. like, of course I would say that. I know. It, that, that's the that's the tough part is it's the same as SNL. It's just you're going to like whatever SNL is the one that existed when you were 12. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, I bet, right, I'm so sure that in like five years, there's going to be people who are like, SNL hasn't been funny since like 2009. Yeah, and we'll be like, <laughs> really? <laughs> in like in like 20 years, there's going to be people like, uh, they never topped the Bo and Yang years. Yeah. Which we're, I think that's what we're in. I feel like he's the biggest star on SNL right now. Really? I don't really know. A lot of I, the, I don't dislike Bo and Yang. I think I don't I haven't watched SNL recently. I don't know. Just I, the the gifts I see of SNL is usually like him being funny. Interesting. Um, or I guess Keenan's still on the show, so I guess he's the biggest star. Well, that's like twenty years have been the Keenan years now. <laughs> it's, he's not a great yardstick for eras in SNL. Right. Sometime in the future, someone's going to be like, "Oh, the Keenan years were the best." And we're going to be like, "Maybe when? we're in the 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 Susie or uh, Sarah Squirm, Sarah, what's her name? Uh, Sarah Sherman is Sarah her Sherman. actual name. Maybe yeah. We're in the Sarah Sherman." Years. Yeah, I don't I have not watched much SNL this year, like if any. Yeah, uh, I did hear that uh, Woody Harrelson went off the rails and went oh, real yeah. anti-vax yeah. <laughs> on the monologue. I heard about that during his Five Timers Club episode. Yeah, I bet they were not happy about that. No, but apparently he did the same thing in dress rehearsals, so they knew he was going to do that. Oh, well, that's what I heard. Shit. Maybe they were just like, no one wants to say no. To, it's like too late well, to. Also, not. yeah, like you can't. It's live. Like, what the fuck are you going to do? Yeah, day before. Yeah, I mean, if he gets to, you know, if two days. On Thursday, if he's like, I'm going to do this thing, what are you going to do? Cancel the episode. Yeah. I guess they could put him on a delay like the Super Bowl. And it just bleeps out the entire speech and they don't tell him. I would like that. That, that would be fun. Be, that would actually be like a very like alt comedy thing to do. Yeah. They put him on a five second delay and just bleeped out the whole thing and then went into his sketches and never told him until he saw it later. That would be great. Because he wouldn't know because it's live. Yeah. That's perfect. Uh, if we just, I was going to talk about some other stuff, but here's the thing to talk about. Let's mm-hmm. just rank the bonds. Just, oh God! Just talk. Just oh, talk, Bond. Just wait. The men or the movies? The men. Okay. Not yeah. every movie. Let's just let's just go Connery to, to Craig. Let's yeah. just let's just talk men. Okay. Let me talking men. Uh, Sean Connery. How do you feel about the Connery? So I I enjoy Sean Connery. I mean, you're more terrible, of a Bond guy than I. Am. Terrible guy. But yes. Uh, I mean, I guess we're speaking of the dead, but I don't know what's he gonna do. I mean, he he talked about that he beat, beat women. He was like yeah, open about that. He shouldn't have done that. That's bad. Yeah. Okay. I think we're uh, okay to say. But that. yeah, I, well, let, let's just say. Uh, aside from that, Connery, I he's my second favorite Bond, or he's definitely top three. You're talking. About, we're we're talking the performances Bond, or just like the movies, or or kind of both, kind of like a, a mix of all the like. What's your grade? Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. I'm talking about the. I guess his the his characterization of Bond. Yeah. His movies are uneven, but that's like. Also, like the longer your run is as Bond, the more uneven the movies get. It always happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like I like his Bond. It's very like, I mean, he, he he's Bond. He's very dashing. Mm-hmm. He's fun. I feel like he's not as like wry, as he's not like as like winky to the camera as some of the later ones were. Right. But that could also be Moore's peak peak winky bullshit. Right. Moore is basically a Naked Gun movie. Yeah. Yeah. Although um, Goldeneye is off it, a naked yeah, Con- movie. Connery is pretty wry. He has like a lot of little little jokes and one-liners and yeah. stuff. But he's still kind of taking it seriously. He's still like on on average taking the thing everything seriously. Yes, and with like he's kind of a funny guy in character. Yeah, he, he's he's still a rascal, but like not nearly as much of a rascal as the later. Like his rascal meter is quite low. Yeah, but it 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 registers mm-hmm. on the on the rascal scale. Yeah. Um, I actually, I really like Lazy Me. That has become kind of the smart mark take on Bond over the years. Uh, yeah. Is that like Honor Majesty's Secret Service That's with Lazy Me is yeah. like the great Bond film. It's hard. To, I mean, it's hard to rank him as a Bond because he only has one movie. So like there's only one point of mm-hmm. 
there's only one point of reference. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know exactly if he is my favorite Bond, but definitely I think that is actually one of my favorite of the like earlier years Bond movies. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. I mean, I... I, growing up, my parents for Hanukkah one year got me like the DVD set of like all the Bonds that yeah. come out to date, and I did watch a ton of them, mm-hmm. but I did not watch all of them because I think if you've seen ten Bonds, I think you've seen every Bond at that point. I don't know. Am I? Is that a hot take? Uh, <laughs> depends on which ten. <laughs> it's all more. Oh well, then no, you haven't. <laughs> no, no, no. I saw. Let me think. I saw. Uh, I won't name them all, but definitely I I saw a few of the um of the Conneries. I remember I watched You Only Live Twice at least. Yeah. I uh, did not watch Lazenby, watched a couple of the Moors. Uh, I w- did watch a Dalton, but I was had the flu, and I it's all a fucking fever dream. Dalton is like the weirdest of the Bond. There's too many more movies, and he outstayed his welcome, but I think it's nice that they happened. I mean, and I, I like going back to him. I really dislike every single Moore movie, top to bottom. <laughs> He's my least favorite Bond by a lot. It's just, I find him very smarmy and irritating. I that's Bond. I don't know. Maybe because I've never been as taken by Bond as a lot of people. More is like just the it's like the most extreme version of stuff that's there to me. Right. I mean, I don't know because it's it's just because like the because if you it's tough because more has the so many he has the plurality of the Bond movies. Right. So but I think he doesn't have the majority of the Bond movies. So I feel like the majority of the Bond movies are, in fact, less dumb and goofy although they are often dumb and goofy yeah um but that one just takes it to such like a level of camp that's like nuts yeah there's too many of them and they went on too like and it it was often too much but i don't hate the idea of like doing a few bonds that are like let's just be as silly as we can i don't think that's like like i don't think uh that's like an evil take on it you know Mm -hmm. it's like if someone were to come do a new batman movie that was not dark and gritty that was just more lighthearted. Like yeah. closer to say the Kilmer or or even George Clooney years, I'd be like, you know, it's it's not Which, often what I want out of Batman, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's funny because I know you disagree with me, but I think that's what Brosnan is, and I think we might be due back for another one of those. I would expect that the next one would be closer to Brosnan, in that we're not doing like we're not doing Roger Moore levels of silliness, but we are going to be fun again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even with No Time to Die, we saw that where there was a lot more. It felt like there was a lot more comedic elements to that movie. That was maybe was one of the funniest Bond movies in general because yeah. it's Phoebe Waller Bridge, right? She did a rewrite one on it. The, yeah, she yeah. passed uh, and got a got a. Writing credit on, so a pretty substantial pass. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, good movie. Yeah, Fun. I mean, yeah, funny. I yeah, it wasn't my favorite of the uh, of the Craig ones, but I also I did think like the jokes were really good. It was very funny. Yeah, I mean, for a movie that took a while to come out, and like it was sort of unclear if he was going to come back to it, and and the Craig years are very strange in general. I feel like they're like every other movie is very well liked. Yeah, and then you have the two weird ones in there with uh, <laughs> Quantum Solace, which you Quantum like. is maybe my. I, certainly the Bond movie I've seen the most. And Spectre, which I think was... Un- I think the movie generally, is execrable. Of, <laughs> I've only seen the opening Day of the Dead scene, and that that's pretty good. cool. That That's a good scene. I, I, it's not like I turned it off. I was just... I caught it on HBO once and I was staying at my parents, and then we had to go to Thanksgiving, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I never went back. Because <laughs> everyone I talked to was like, yeah, you've seen the best part. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that movie... It's also, that movie... There's so much of like that... Those well, also actually, the funny thing is, I realized it kind of in Goldeneye as well about how much a Bond post maybe the eighties is just like the snake eating its tail of them making references to other Bond movies. Yeah, because in this one they're doing a lot of stuff with the kind of the classic um, Aston Martin things like that, mm-hmm. and then in the newer ones, that especially the last two, so much of it is just direct, kind of almost a parody of Bond, mm-hmm. where. Um, 
What was the, what was the newest one? No, no, no time to die. No time to die. No time to die is really really heavily based on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Like they just they copy a lot of scenes from it. They even use the same song at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's, there's because it's kind of point where it's just the snake eating itself. It's not really anything anymore. It's just like a black hole of Bond just talking about Bond. Yeah, I don't even know where you go with the series that is so limited in the kind of stories that it claims to be able to tell. That is, but that has also gone on so long. Yeah, you know, like what is? I feel like we've seen every version of Bond. I mean, I guess they could, you know, they could make it more fun. They could do it more silly. They could. I mean, well, okay, let's think like a broccoli real quick. <laughs> I'd rather not. If you want to think like a broccoli, you got you got to look for the chlorophyll. Um, no, if you want to think like a broccoli, it's just you got to find what's what's the new what's the new hotness in action that we want to emulate with Bond, right? Because I mean, before it was born, and now we're done with what's what's the new thing? It would, movies. it would be Marvel, but they're never going to do that level of science fiction, like. But Every time they sort of touch on more science fiction stuff, people react like the two things that are most associated with bad bond are Moonraker, yeah, and going into the space and the invisible car and dino. But I'm thinking it's not going to be the science fiction aspect of it; it's the winky bullshit to camera stuff. So just meta jokes. I mean, yeah, they kind of had some of that in No Time to Die. It felt like. Yeah. So, but I think in theory, if we were to think like a broccoli, it would be full on meta humor, Deadpool, Bond. Sure. Let them try. <laughs> what do they have to lose? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't love it, but what what if it was just Tinker Taylor Bond? What would Bond be in the Tinker if it was a John Le Carre novel? I mean, I, I he guess, would be Colin Firth's character. Or I guess I was thinking he would be more of um, Tom Hardy's character. Also, well, that would also work. Yeah, him actually being because he specifically like seduces a woman to make a to like make a play. But that's what I thought about. What I thought about Bill uh, Bill Hayden because he slept with uh, um, he oh, slept yeah. with Smiley's wife just to throw him off. It is funny for the uh, like quote realistic movie how m- how many honeypots there are. <laughs> Quite a few actually. Yeah, I mean according to the Americans, my only frame of reference for this seems like that's a lot of it. Fifty percent honeypot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a lot of honeypot. <laughs> it's a classic for a reason. Well, here's a highbrow lowbrow we can talk about. Okay. Um, I mean, basically, just like sex in these movies. In right. Bond, it is a joke, or it's just like or, uh, straight up sexual harassment. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no point in there's no like emotional or romantic or sexual connections in GoldenEye that are like emotionally like affecting. I would say. Uh, yeah, they kind of they do the thing where just by virtue of having been in a bunch of action sex pieces together they assume that it's enough for Bond and Natalia to have a connection. Right. Even though we don't specifically really see them have any sort of emotional connection. Yeah, or sex is Xena on a top who, like, sort of seduces people and then, like, chokes them to death, like, breaks their ribs with her incredibly powerful thighs. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in Tinker Taylor, the, every time... It's all part of the game, and that's like more makes it all more devastating. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Tom Hardy actually falling in love, even though he's doing a honeypot, and that like, I mean, the last time we see him, he's just like a sad, sad boy in the rain because he's he's out of the game, but he has nothing, and yeah, the only the only thing he cared about, the thing that got him out of the game, is now lost. Mm-hmm. And you have Bill sleeping with Smiley's wife, which is like pretty fucking devastating. It's also I was reading that uh, people were reading into it that he is that he's gay. And that he was in a relationship with um, I'm forgetting the guy who Prito. becomes a school teacher, Prito. Yeah, yeah. Well, the we know which he, would be even sadder if he has to, you know, abandon that for this for his job, basically. Yeah, I I also read his him had being in a relationship with Prito with mm-hmm. Mark Strong's character, uh, but also there's a point when he um, when Smiley visits him at the end. Yeah, visits Hayden. Hayden has says like, could you clean up some things for me? He says there's a girl and says there's also a guy. 
So he had relationships with a with a woman and a man. So right. He's a spy. Doesn't know who can say what his actual sexual orientation is because he's doing spy shit. Mm-hmm. But he's at the very least open to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's a he's a man of the world. Man of the world. Yeah. But it's all all these sexual connections are dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's everything that you every connection you have with another person is a tool to control or hurt them or something that can be used to control or hurt you. Yeah, yes. because the the sexual the relationship that is not a honeypot that is supposedly genuine is ends up being a like a weapon. It ends up being weaponized against Smiley. Yeah, and that's something that I kind of find so revealing and interesting to his character is that when Anne his wife comes back mm. in the very during the final montage, he's not like angry. Yeah. He like kind of welcomes her back. I think he like you like embraces her at least like kind of like Gives her like a little pat on the back. Like, the, I think the scene is like, welcome back. It's not like, a, how the fuck are you back here? Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess to him, like, he, even if it's this devastating thing, like, to their marriage personally, like, he's sort of reached a point where even that is just something he has to compartmentalize or just put away or just not be affected by it because that's who he, like, yeah. in order to be the man in the control seat. Yeah, it makes sense if you have to suppress your emotions for your job every single day. You that will bleed over into other aspects of your life where you just won't feel emotion anymore. You just have to train. You're basically training yourself to be a psychopath. Right. So the end of the movie, there's a great shot of him passing Peter in the hallway, and they both kind of smirk at each other. Mm-hmm. And they both kind of cut themselves off from their actual romantic connections to get there. Yeah. And they both made it, and they they're in control of the circus again. It's a really dark. It's like triumphant ending. The bad guys are out. Mm-hmm. Fucking Percy Alline, who was like such a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Toby Jones uh, is out. He's like literally like in the rain looking all like fucking angry. Yeah. But they're also like they have made themselves smaller emotionally mm-hmm. as men to have achieved this. And like that's the world. Yeah. And it's devastating for everybody. <laughs> and either you're going to get shot in the head by Mark Strong or you're going to, you know, last but last and stay at the top. But it, you're still going to be like empty and par- like control dies thinking his close friend closest friend smiley might be a mole right like even that big connection and that's like a kind of a subplot of the movie although I, there is also some there's some analysis i was reading online where the reason that he brought smiley with him was because he thought he wasn't the mole mm-hmm. and that was like that was a play in order to maybe be able to bring him back later or something yeah yeah, or I guess it's just because he was his right hand man he just brought him with him yeah but yeah yeah and like it, yeah yeah I mean, I, I saw there's a lot of scenes of people telling Smiley that Control thought he was could have been one of the, mole, yeah. the moles. You know, like to the point of, you know, the the chess pieces mm-hmm. being the biggest one. And Smiley always seems the movie always lingers on Smiley. They never did. They, they didn't give Smiley a. There's an interesting thing where he didn't seem to give Smiley a code name. Did Smiley have a code name of the Tinker, in the Tinker Tailor Soldier thing? I'd have to go back and watch. So Tinker Tailor and Soldier are Bland Hayden and Alaline. And there's. Beggar man or poor, poor, poor man. man. Yeah. It used to be rich man and they changed it. I think there's like a joke in there that we missed. Yeah. He says like, well, rich man doesn't apply, so here's poor man. And they said sailor sounds too much like Taylor, so maybe yeah. Smiley used to be sailor. Um, I, Yeah, well, but then at the end he just says, and then there's Smiley, which was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It, may, it might just be that they told he's they came up with a nickname for him off camera or something. Yeah. But it was interesting that he didn't feel like he was part of the suspects, really, in that scene. Oh, oh but I, I know. A, I know he literally was, but in the way that it was filmed, oh, it I had I had like, but the opposite take entirely. Basically, because like in that scene, they says you know Tinker Taylor Soldier, and then he says like Sailor is too much like Taylor, and Rich Man doesn't apply. So then he says Poor Man. He shows up that, and they just puts down Smiley's name, like name there. Yeah, I assumed he used to be Sailor, 
and that, that was oh no funny. they just didn't use sailor because it, it you know it's from like a nursery rhyme right Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that's like they're saying like the sailor's the next part of the nursery rhyme, mm-hmm. but it just is too. It doesn't work to use as a nickname. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Either way, I don't. I think it's like pretty. A lot of the emotional power in a lot of those scenes is that like Smiley becoming aware that even Control, who was like his mentor, mm-hmm. like saw him as a possible threat. And there's like a lot of scenes of them. Yeah, between that, there's like a like another scene where they mentioned he was like looking at him, mm-hmm. um, which is rough. Yeah, it's tough. It's rough and tough. It's rough and tough. Um, which gets me to the, I guess, sort of the last thing, kind of stuff about Tinker Tailor I really want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the constant flashbacks to the Christmas party. I like the, I mean, the Christmas party is kind of a great way of establishing all, of, well, I guess it's like your baseline relationship of mm-hmm. where everybody is at before all the shit went down. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing, you know, Colin Firth and the wife yeah. and, and George and the wife. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it kind of, and there's kind of also what outlines, um, kind of sta- how he's kind of low status amongst the big uh, lieutenants, mm-hmm. and that also would kind of explain why he's so emphatic about making witchcraft happen. Mm-hmm. Because when he's just getting roasted about the punch, right? Yeah, and he's just very low status with control, especially. So it makes sense that he would ha- kind of have a little bit of a complex and need to prove himself. Yeah. So like it's it's very it's it feels like kind of like what would normally be an act one thing, but they kind of spread it out over all three acts in flashbacks, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, the whole sequence, I mean, one, you, you set up all these different characters, but I think there's this like weird element of nostalgia for like that era. Mm-hmm. I, I always, They keep cutting back to it and all of them being friends, like having fun. And yeah. obviously there's like the darkness because they keep, they cut back to them having fun and then they'll cut back again. There'll be like some sort of really affecting character beat. Right. Like, you know, Bill saying goodbye to Preto to go like uh, seduce Smiley's wife. Yeah. Um, there's a really great line when... Um, when Smiley is talking to Connie, who mm-hmm. was also fired at the round time, he, same time he was, uh, who sort of coming on to him, it's sort of it's sort of fun. So he's talking to uh, to Connie, mm-hmm. uh, who used to work at. She's the one who find who was like onto the cultural attaché of the mole, mm-hmm. and they find him her by seeing who was fired around the same time he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like coming on to him in kind of fun way. She's yeah. Like, great. Well, then she's also she, she also hits on him in the scene when he goes to. Also, I don't know what her living situation is in that house where she's like, there's like a theater troupe who's hanging out at the house. What? When he goes to see Connie in the present. Yeah. She's like, there's that house that they're at and there's like the theater troupe who's like. A theater troupe? Yeah, they're practicing in the yard. And there's the two kids who are making out on the couch and they're in costumes and then they go off to fuck. Oh, I thought that was like her son or something. It was just like like I thought it was just like her like kids, and they were just like he had to, she had to hate friends over or something. I guess because so, they are also there was a bunch of people in the backyard who were like doing theater stuff. Maybe they didn't have the theater troupe over, but I like it felt to me like it was like or her just kid. her kids. Yeah, well, a kid, it's, yeah, a, a kid and somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's really nostalgic for like back in the day when we were all like having fun doing stuff together. Yeah, uh, and here's, here's that line that's like it was the war, Connie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just found that so interesting. This like idea of looking back at the past, like it was something fun, you know, like everything was good there, mm-hmm. you know, like like they were all younger and full of life and healthy connections, and then looking at the present where everyone's just like fucking angry all the time, yeah, and closed off and suspicious of each other. I mean, it's the same way that like I feel like we look back on when we were like super broke and like twenty five, <laughs> how it was amazing, but also we were just totally unhappy at the time, <laughs> didn't know what we were doing. Uh, actor talk, uh, Pierce Brosnan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, yeah. We talked about him a lot already. Yeah, we talked about all- Sean Bean. Who we have not talked we, about. A we lot. really haven't talked about Sean Bean very much, but he's kind of not in most of the movie. Yeah, he just sort of 
like he, he's in the beginning and then he just sort of like pops up and it's like oh hey james i'm the bad guy yeah he's kind of like a brother character for james bond i guess he was supposed to be like dark bond is the idea yeah like, which is kind of I mean, I, I guess that's kind of what Spectre was like a little bit too, because he's also kind of the analog of Bond in that they were brothers. Yeah, Blofeld was. Uh, yeah, I, movie. <laughs> I didn't know any of that shit, and then I saw No Time to Die. You know, they like Blofeld comes back. Yeah, uh, and like well, as we were driving home, like Jess had to explain all that. Oh, just like oh yeah, they like grew up together. They're like actual brothers, and I was like, that's insane. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, it's such really, an unnecessary. It's twist. a really crazy. It's just a crazy coincidence. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, Fomke Jensen. Uh, I mean, I think she's bad. She's not. Well, it's it's just like her character is written so I also, insanely. I also think she's. I'm sorry. I I I often avoid just saying I don't like a performance, but I really don't like this performance. It's like there's a version that's more fun. I don't know. Yeah, it's tough because like this movie is so broad and is asking her to do such broad things that like yeah, if you're being told to just like growl and shit mm-hmm. during a sex scene. How do you do that well? Yeah. What's the good version of that? I don't know, but it was not in this movie. No. No. Uh, Judy Dench. She's, oh, only she's like always great. She's great. It's it's wild how Judy Dench is always... She Her character feels very similar to how it does in the current Bonds. Yeah. It's also super weird that like that scene where he, they set it up as like, oh, M, you're such a bean counter, and I'm the one who's like getting messy in the field. Yeah, and like, she doesn't feel like a bean counter. No, she feels like a fucking badass. Yeah. I think like very quick, they must have written that and then they cast Judy Dench, and Judy Dench was just like, I'm going to give a performance as if I'm a fucking badass who knows what she's doing. It's also funny that it's weird because like it, it's written this way. It's not just inherent to the actor's performance, but she also has the only scene that has maybe some like complex emotional ideas in it, which is her talking about how... I like have no problem with like sending you in to die. Yeah. Like that's actually like a very pretty heavy emotional like scene yeah. that she's delivering. And uh it's the only time the movie feels serious and like it has something to say, really. Yeah, it, it's the dinosaur, like you're a dinosaur of the Cold War or whatever. Yeah. I, I like that scene because it's not like you're a dinosaur and it's time to grow up. It's more like you're a dinosaur and you're if you fucking die, I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, like I, you think you're the wild man badass. I am the more badass of us. But it is like it, it, she also does say that I don't want you to die. She, yeah. it's, it's like an interesting thing how she's she's kind of saying two things at once, which is that I am not actively trying to kill you, but I also am not afraid to let you die. Yeah, yeah. I think that's like uh, I think that's like the unspoken agreement among most spies. I yeah. feel like that's something that like Smiley and Ricky Tar probably understand about each other. Yeah. I guess I guess the distinction is what is like the first part says the important part of they don't actively want to kill you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's like assumed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't think anyone cares if anyone dies. No. No. Well, well, they do. Preto and and uh, Hayden in yeah. Tinker Tailor. That's like I mean, yeah, when he shoots him, he's like crying. Yeah. That was always really. That was and really then he also goes out of his way to uh, was it um, oh shoot, what's his name? The the one who's the bad guy in the end. Bill Hayden. Bill yeah. Hayden. Yeah. Bill Hayden like saves uh, goes out of his way to get him back from russia yeah when they might have abandoned him without that yeah and it sort of and it only ends up hurting him because info from prito helps is like i think prito is the last person that smiley talks to before he like makes the play on uh yeah yeah so yeah uh, emotional connections uh are bad and will hurt you yeah in the spy game never do them you can't be a person you have to be a husk with glasses yep. to survive or yet can be James Bond, the most who's also a hu- who is a husk without glasses, <laughs> just a husk and a penis. Yep. <laughs> uh, Isabella Skorupko. Oh, is she's Natalia. Natalia. She's good. Yep, she's fine. I actually like her a lot. Yeah, very, very winning. 
Yeah. Uh, I was surprised that she didn't really, wasn't in much after this. No, you found some Cougar weird, Club. Cougar Club. So it looked like an American Pie ripoff. Yeah, it came out in 2007. Yeah. Uh, it, it Literally, Cougar, it just it seems to be just a movie with a bunch of guys sleep with older ladies. I'm not entirely sure, but I do know From that. the title that implies that. that yeah. Makes the, sense. Some of the cougars are uh, Carrie Fisher and Faye Dunaway, and that's what makes that cast insane. Yeah, <laughs> I'm curious to see what Carrie Fisher and Faye Dunaway are doing in that movie. I don't want to watch the full movie to find out. But probably boning young men, based on the good for the them. title. Are they the cougars? They got to be. Yeah, you you think they're going for older women, <laughs> right? Cougar Club. It's like Carrie Fisher sleeping with like, um, I don't know the the lady who plays the, the old lady in, in Titanic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's the oldest actress I could think or, of. Yeah, like been alive. Diana Rigg. <laughs> uh, Alan Cumming as Boris. Uh, he's the hacker, right? Not uh, the hacker. I really, really hate his acting too. I think he's pretty bad. I think he is doing what he was asked to do. I, I love Alan Cumming as an actor. I, yeah, he's so good in The Good Wife. Uh, he is so good in Titus. Yeah, uh, I mean, so good in kind of everything. It's tough. There's just a lot of bad Russian accents in this movie. Oh yeah, the accents not. And they're, I would not say it's convincing. Yeah, they're trying to like fight their way through these like Boris and Natasha accents. Yeah, and it's, his name is Boris. I know. <laughs> I was watching this the the Wire, and there's a bit where they keep calling the Russian the Ukrainian guy Boris, and yeah. he keeps being like, "Why always Boris?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like my name is not Boris. I don't know one named Boris. That's really funny. Uh, I I uh, I think he's fine. Uh, I like him yelling, "I'm invincible," and then getting freeze dried. Yes, um, I like. I think the the bit with the pen, like that's not him, but that's just really smart writing. Yeah, the pen. Yeah, pen part's good. I like that. Uh, and I think he is very realistically misogynistic for an IT guy in the '90s or an IT guy in the now. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think it's the uh, the avenue his misogyny takes is maybe unrealistic, it's creative. In that <laughs> he's a creative. It's a lot of uh, like bitmap art. <laughs> Uh, Robbie Coltrane as that Russian guy, uh, Hagrid. Yeah. It's just nice to see Hagrid. Yeah, yeah. Good for Hagrid. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember the line. You know, Bond points the gun at him, right? And he's like, "Ah, oh, Walter PPK. Only three men use them, and I've killed two of them." I mm-hmm. remember as a kid, like asking my dad, like, "What? How did he kill those two guys? Why did he kill those two guys?" Like, I, that's a story. I want to know more about. And that. also, like, they they only make three of that gun. Right. Like, why, why are there only three guys who use that gun? Because <laughs> it's like an old gun. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, like, they actually, in the in the books, they make fun of Bond a lot because they keep it. on calling it a woman's gun. That's fun. Yeah. My dad had to be like, it's just a thing. He just said it to be scary. You just yeah. have to watch the Like, it's like a very early lesson in like, you don't actually have to take anything anyone says in this movie seriously. <laughs> <laughs> How to watch Bond. I feel like there's a story there. I don't know. Uh, actor talk. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Gary Oldman. I mean, great. Incredible. Always good. Uh Certainly understated, but like absolutely like transformative. Yeah, actually, that makes me think of like, what do you think of the this is like something that I kind of only caught in the second time I watched it. There's like a real quick shot of him in like the montage after he gets fired or resigns Mm -hmm. and then him coming back to get hired again. Mm -hmm. He goes and he he gets new glasses and he goes to like an optician and they have a Mm -hmm. shot of him in like the optician measuring thing. Yeah. And it kind of felt like. I don't know, like in like Great Gatsby when they have that optician's office, yeah. like how it's just like a very, it felt like a very clear metaphor for something. But I'm like, what 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 do we what do we think this whole thing of him getting the new glasses and also him getting his eyes tested, like well thematically they, means? 
I would say it's sim- when when Bill Bill Hayden reveals that he's why he slept with his wife. He says it was Carla's idea because he thought if I did that, you wouldn't be able to see me clearly. Right. So I guess it's all about that. It's now like, he's seeing clearly. Right. It's all about can you see what's happening clearly, like in the world or with the people around you. Yeah, that's true. Um, also, I think the movie is really really good about like framing his glasses in interesting ways. Yeah. Like it's like a superhero mask almost. Like mm-hmm. in the speech, the drunken speech where he talks about Carla, there's like a bit where he like leans forward and like you can't see his eyes anymore. Mm-hmm. There's like the fire. Because of the reflection. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's fucking good shit. Yeah. Uh Thomas Alfredson directed this movie. Very good. Yeah. No, it looks great. I think I feel like a criticism I saw online that you mentioned a bit was just how gray this movie is yeah. and how muted it is. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really beautiful and it has a lot of color. It's just they're like kind of subtle earth tones most of the time. Yeah, it's a good example of a way of making a movie have like a, dr- a dark uh, tone without it looking like bland. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, there's a lot of like, I like kind of the saturated colors of the, uh, like the DC movies are like mm-hmm. too gritty, where it's like this movie like really looks great. Yeah. It's also kind of a, it's, it's interesting because it's a little hard to separate from just kind of the general color palette of the 70s, which was very earth tony and very, a little bit more muted yeah than say like the 80s or you know now even yeah so but it's but it feels like it's interesting that the kind of color palette of the 70s and also just of the tone of the movie match up so it's kind of a nice piece of i don't know if that's like it's like completely deliberate because it's also a story that can only exist in this era yeah but it's funny it's like that point of uh that nexus point is interesting. Yeah, it's they did a good job of understanding like the production design needs to be drab but also interesting because mm-hmm. that is the story. It is both very like drab, it is very like basic and like kind of all into like the dirty grunt work of being a spy. Yeah. But that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean and that also is that is the thing about spying from what I've seen in some interviews online is that the most important aspect of a spy, the most important skill a spy can have is just to blend in and not be noticed. Yeah. Which is why Bond is the worst spy in the world. Cause a, he's just like too good looking and he's wearing a suit all the time. And also, you know, driving a tank around rush around St. Petersburg or whatever. Right. He is like the most interesting man. Yeah. He's the most interesting man in the world, but to be a good spy, you need to be invisible. Yeah. You need to be boring. Yeah. Which is, that's the funny thing about the Americans is that, uh, Carrie Russell's, Character is just an unrealistic spy because she's so good looking. Right, yeah. yeah. It would be distracting. Yeah, yeah. Would be, you would notice like, her. The whole thing is you don't want to be looked at. Or remembered, yeah. The more looked at or remembered you are, the worst case you are. Yeah. Um, other actors, Benedict Cumberbatch as Peter Gillum. He's Gillum. good. Yeah. Uh, really interesting performance. You yeah. Know, he's, like, like I said, I think the 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 runner of him and Ricky as the two like paths you can take in the spy game. Mm-hmm. And like Peter becoming more insular, being like at peace with that, even though he's, you know, not like in the best emotional case. Right. Uh, the scene of him like saying goodbye to his husband is pretty rough. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hardy as Ricky Tarr. Wow, man. Man, I love, Sexy. I love, I love Tom Hardy. <laughs> I love young Tom Hardy. I love Tom Hardy with his wig. <laughs> He's really good. But uh, we're introduced to him. You know, it's like a shot of him in a phone booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't see his face. And uh, Jess turned to me. It's like, it's the same thing with Tom Hardy. You never see his face in any of his movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Colin Firth, Bill Hayden, very good. Very good. Uh, it's tough. All, all, all of them are just going to be very good. Yeah, they're very good. But like Firth and uh, I would say Syrian Hines as well. They're very. You see very little of them and get only just like glimpses of them. But they do a Syrian good job. Hines especially you get the least. Although you kind of get the part of it's just like his physicality has this kind of like brutish kind of imposing yes feel. I think they do a really good job of with very brief glimpses of all these characters seeming really distinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and then the one I want to point out now is, is Toby Jones as Aliline. Right. 
he's only in like a few scenes, but he just some, comes off as such a fucking bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they, he's always at a hundred and it's so interesting to have a character in a movie like this who's just every time they talk to him, it's just like, fuck you, buddy. Yeah. Well, cause you definitely get that. He has, he has this interesting little man complex and then he, he's, he's like the bully kid who finally gets to be in charge and becomes bully immediately. Right. Exactly. Well, he's so excited. Well, that's the thing. He's so excited about witchcraft, which is like his program. Right. That he's so desperate to protect it because it's like makes him feel important. Yeah. When really he's completely have being had by the KGB. Yeah. And it literally does make him important that make because he becomes control, right? Or at least the Yeah, he intro, takes over. Yeah. Um David Densick as Toby Esterhouse, uh the guy he threatens on the on the runway. Right. Yeah. Very uh, good. That was he had a really good pretty like banner scene with him crying cuz also it, when he's crying and saying I'm not a traitor, it makes it seem like he is a traitor. Right. And then later on, <laughs> later on, you find out that he is not, and you're like, oh my god, he's just like so, just scared that he is like doing this thing that makes him look more guilty. I know it's such a good because like, all the spies are so like cock of the walk every scene. They're yeah. just like I'm so important, I'm so confident, I'm so happy, and he's the only one who's and like that you see that facade totally break because mm-hmm. he just does not want to be sent back. He was like a defector initially. Yeah, and he, he was in living in a museum. He was a criminal or something interesting. Was, yeah, yeah. Like homeless, and he's just like so desperate. Just like I need this life. Yeah, like, I, I'm so like tied to this. It's like yeah. so so human and so uh, really good performance. Yeah, for sure. Uh, John Hurt as control. I mean, that's I like mean, him, John Hurt performance number three right off the rack. Yep, <laughs> Norton <laughs> Rack John Hurt. <laughs> him yelling at everyone to get out of the room. Him just being drunk half the time. <laughs> Love John Hurt so him just much. Being mean to people. <laughs> Uh, Mark Strong is Predo. I think he's incredible. Yeah, he's very good. Um, really, his relationship with the the student is really interesting. Yeah, I think very similar sort of to the stuff that's going on with Smiley and the people working. Yeah, because I, I feel like he was kind of like subconsciously training this kid to be a spy. Yeah, and then he kind of realizes that he doesn't want that for this kid. Yeah, it's um, it's so in, it, it's just that thing of like it's sort of almost at the first part where he's like. He feels like he could be a mentor. Yeah, you know, he's like kind of embracing something wholesome. Yeah, and then by the end of the movie, he's just like, I, I, there is nothing in me I want to pass on to this kid. Like, yeah. I don't want to. I can't be a teacher. To these people, like, I will fuck these kids up. Yeah, and I think also just because he knows that he's about to commit a murder or might go away for a while. That's true. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. On the other hand, uh, what was the thing the kid made for him? It was like a piece of wood. But yeah, I have. Yeah, I made it's like for bad Santa. It's a pickle. Why is it brown? I bled on it. Uh, I I will say this about that. It's very silly, but also uh, that's what kids do. If like, like I mean, I believe that a kid in like a wood shop in like seventies, yeah, would just like cut a piece of wood into a dumb I, shape and give it to teacher I think and think it's it art. Is, I think it does have some function. I don't think it is just a sculptural piece of wood. I think it's a piece of wood. I think it might be have some sort of British function that we don't recognize immediately. Like maybe it's some <laughs> element of cricket or something. I think it's just a piece of wood. I, 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 that is a crazy take. Uh, uh, Kathy Burke as uh, Connie. I love her. She's really good in this movie. It's like yeah. really makes an, imp- uh, uh, an impact in just like a few scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the scene where she's like getting yelled at by Aline, where he's like trying to protect right, yes. uh, witchcraft. Yeah, uh, and uh, I, I don't not know the actress's name or the character's name, but fucking Edith from Downton Abbey is right. in this movie. Right, she <laughs> is the secretary. Because I was I was I was watching the movie and I was looking at her. I was like, I know this woman's face. Who is this? It's Edith. It's the, Edith, the hero of Downton Abbey, the best character <laughs> that is, in Downton that is Abbey. a psychotic take. Thomas Alfredson, well directed. Martin Campbell directed. Uh, 
Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also did Casino Royale. Yeah. Good action director. What else has he done? Uh, those two movies. Oh, okay. Those are the ones I know, because those are like his really famous ones. Uh, Goldeneye especially. It's really cool that they brought him back to do Casino Royale. It's like, you did this once again. Go ahead and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I like to give credit to a guy like Martin Campbell, who's just a very good action director. You know, like, um... Uh, guy, the guy who directed Cliffhanger. What's his name? He's like another guy who like is uh, Remy Harlan. Remy uh, Harlan. Remy Harlan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Remy Harlan, like another one of those guys. John McTiernan, probably an upper tier of that for doing Die Hard. Yeah. There's just something about our classic action directors that I feel like. I think Martin Campbell, especially, very good at kind of like building a set piece. Yeah. Uh, in Casino Royale, the air the airport sequence where he's running chasing him. That oh, is yeah. like his like his masterwork. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, like that shit you should teach in like uh, in film school. Like if you need to do a scene of someone chasing someone without any words, like that's do those shots. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, then those guys, they just need a really, really good script to work off of or else they're lost, you know, like. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of. I feel like that's kind of Goldeneye. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I Goldeneye, I think fun for what it is. It, I think it's been dated by the fact that Casino Royale just did it better. Yeah. Did the like rebooting Bond better. Yeah. Um, it sort of reminds me of how I feel about Braveheart. Although Braveheart I think is garbage in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but there's people who really like it because it had those big epic action scenes at the mm-hmm. time. But like we have Lord of the Rings now. We have better epic action scenes. That, yeah. Like if you need epic action, epic medieval action, watch one of the good ones. Yeah. Don't watch Braveheart, which is dumb <laughs> and bad and poorly written by an anti-Semite. <laughs> I haven't seen it in so long. It's a bad movie. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, since we're talking about directors, Thomas Alfredson directed Tinker Taylor. Brilliantly right. directed. He also did Let the Right One In. Great uh, movie. Incredible movie. I think if we were ever to do Vampires Part Two, I feel like that would be a natural highbrow. I feel like it's probably the highest brow. I would say of yeah. the vampires. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe uh, the one we did, Only Lovers. Only Lovers, is a little higher brow because it's just even less accessible. Maybe. But just highbrow in that it is like less accessible. slow. Yeah. Um. And but old Thomas Alfredson also did famously the Snowman, which was a big old flop. Oh, but yeah. A, apparently the story with that was they they cut like twenty percent of the movie before filming. Yeah, like they like had a script and they were going to like uh like basically right as they were like start like the day before like they start shooting they were like you only have the budget to shoot like eighty percent of it. Right. So they just that's why it's nonsensical. There's just no way to do that. Yeah. At that point, you might as well just not make the movie. Yeah, but I guess it was like too late in the game. Yeah, I mean, it, you're kind of pot committed at that point. Yeah. As a producer, it's either you make it and you hope that somebody likes it or you just accept that you're going to get fired now instead of later. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Alfredson, uh, I guess, directed a Swedish movie called Si Oop for John Sunligan. Okay. Uh, a 2020 Swedish comedy film. It is the 15th installment in the John Sunligan franchise. We got to <laughs> watch a, these. And a reboot of the series. As the second reboot, the creative team went back to pure comedy after the heist thriller comedy and John, John Sunligan Den Perfecta Stoughton failed to live up to expectations. Wow, this is interesting. This is like, I don't know, Swedish Mr. Bean? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it seems like it's a whole little world, but it looks like... It's kind of like how of, like in France, Asterix is so big and there's like 80,000 of the Asterix movies and you're like, this is just not a thing that exists for us. I think having to do this was like his... Um, this must have been like his get out of director jail Oh, like thing, like do a thing Swedish for, director jail. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it came out years ago, didn't make a lot of waves because it was just like a Swedish movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it looks like he is signed on to direct a TV series um, adapted from a 
uh, a Live Woman movie from 2000 that was written by Ingmar Bergman. Okay. Uh, so that's good for him. Yeah, it's like a very sweet. It's like a Swedish prestige TV miniseries. I'm interested to see what Swedish prestige TV miniseries look like. I, I feel like you don't get a lot of those on the old Netflix. I think like I feel like our moms watch those. Well, like my mom loves Scandinavian shows. I, I, my my aunt loves Scandinavian crime specifically, like mm-hmm. specifically like the the author of The Snowman. I forget his name. The Harry Hole. Yeah, the Harry Hole. I think it's like Hole or something. I feel like it's you not. Can't I don't think it's. I don't think it's, seriously. I don't think it's pronounced Hole in Swedish, but I don't know that it's. I don't know that. I think in the movie they say Hole, and it's funny. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there's a really good How This Get Made episode on that movie for you or listeners. Um, I'm curious about what Scandinavian stuff other than gritty crime dramas in small towns is. Yeah. I mean, well, they have uh, Ingmar Bergman. So like really interesting existential art yeah. films or crime. Yeah. Or just like really violent crime in the yeah, snow. Yeah. But what's like Swedish The Office? That's what I want. <laughs> I bet it's very silly. Yeah. I bet they love the Swedish chef. It's all like that. Yeah. Um. Oh, last thing. Oh, okay. I have one last highbrow, lowbrow, and then okay. I think we're, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, violence, highbrow, lowbrow, violence. The violence in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is, is extraordinarily extremely upsetting. violent. Yeah. yeah, the especially the two characters who I mean, there's the two people who get just like eviscerated. Yeah, and then there's maybe three other people that get shot, and it's all played pretty intensely. It's very violent. It's very disturbing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I it's interesting because like you could do highbrow, lowbrow violence. You could do like you know highbrow could be artfully not showing it. Mm-hmm. When lowbrow could be leaning into the gore, like cabin fever. Yes. Here, I think we have the opposite. Yeah. Well, it's, highbrow is like using the using the fact that it is upsetting to show how like how much of a toll it has. Yeah. And how it, how it should be upsetting. Taking violence and death seriously. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, James Bond probably kills like what eighty people. At one point, Sean Bean runs up, points a gun in his face, like, "Hey, what's up?" Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> It's a, it's a big old rubber gun too in that scene. It's yeah. really funny because it's just like wobbling around because you can't wave or like even a prop gun in another actor's face because you'll take all his teeth out. So yeah. it's just fucking big ass rubber gun with a silencer. It's really funny. Just the violence is all silly and like they don't really linger on anything, any deaths or any violence. They, they do linger on it in the where in the Severania facility it gets nuked and it's on fire and yeah. natalia is kind of like scared and scared and then she's kind of going around the bodies of her co-workers they actually That's do okay. they do play that uh, uncharac- Relatively straight. uncharacteristically straight for that movie which yeah. is interesting given that they uh the most gory or disturbing violence in the movie is Boris being frozen alive and that's uh played as a gag yeah <laughs> that's like funny yes yeah yeah <laughs> um just i mean it is not uh specific to bond or to goldeneye the kind of violence as just thrilling and entertaining and yeah. not ever taking seriously the effects of it. Yes, for sure. But it is a highbrow, lowbrow situation mm-hmm. that the highbrow, when there is violence, it is so disturbing specifically to make you upset about, make you really feel like there's things that are lost. Here. And yeah. And also the, um, the amount of people, I mean, just like far fewer people are the victims of violence in Tinker Taylor, which makes, them more significant when they do happen and uh most of them are people that we actually know as characters yeah uh there's like two i mean there's two that we kind of don't as much or no there's one person that we really just straight up don't know at all which is the other guy who's in the office with him right the 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 like other spy with ricky in uh in budapest yeah yeah but then the russian is not a pov character but we do kind of get to know him by watching him yeah irena we know quite well yeah 
and um yeah i mean every other and then the other one's the pov character like we know all these people yeah and then the other big one was in the um in the opening shooting with preto mm-hmm. uh like a random woman is like killed Oh right, right. Her a mother. She's like a dead body holding a baby. Yeah, and like then there's just like a like a faceless spy just like carrying a baby off while there's like a dead body. Like right. And the movie goes to show you that constantly. Right. Just like to really make that theme of like these little spy games have like horrible effects on people. Yeah, and it's all for so it feels so. I know for them it's very high stakes, but it feels very low stakes when it's all very abstract. Right. It feels like this could just not happen. Yeah. But also like you know there's probably shit they're doing. Yeah, I I get. It's, it's funny like when I'm watching a lot of these kind of political thrillers and spy things, I'm just like the stuff they're working towards seems like it doesn't matter. Like it seems yeah. like they're just kind of. It seems like sports to me. Well, it's all. That's what's so interesting about Tinker Taylor. It's not like we need to uncover the small because they're gonna sell the Golden Eye. You know, yeah. it's it's just yeah, they're uncover- not gonna nuke London. They're just gonna have something over on us. Right. It's like they are going to have the interior to our information that could lead to other even greater horrible things down the line in theory yeah um yeah interesting highbrow lowbrow you know <laughs> yeah that's what it's all about it's a lot more abstract yeah uh right, any last thoughts on these movies no should we play a game yeah I've, i got a i got a list pulled up all right uh the letterbox list game uh i will pull up a list on letterbox the social movie app for social movie app social so media, social movie app social media app for movies uh and i need to get cooper to Name as many of them as I can without saying their names, the directors, the actors, or quotes. We're basically playing taboo or catchphrase, uh, but with movies. Uh, and the list that I've decided... Oh, the list uh, has one of the movies we have talked about in the podcast today on it. All right, what's the list? Films that force me to struggle to tell men apart for two hours. Oh, I feel like Tinker Taylor's probably on this one. <laughs> That's correct. Yes. Uh, the only comment on this, uh, the description of this list is... I have male-specific facial recognition blindness. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, are you doing the, you doing yeah, the time? Yeah, I'll put a minute 30. Well, tell me when you're ready. All right, ready, set, go. Uh, a bunch of soldiers, World War II, escape a beach in... Uh, um, it's, oh, it's, uh, same by Ryan? No, uh, escape the beach. They're like trying to get away. And they're uh, British. And it's like a famous thing that happened. Oh, know, Dunkirk? Just, yes. Uh, movie we covered on the podcast, uh, students in a uh, school. Oh, oh, oh. Dead Poets. Yep. Society. Uh, adaptation of a terrible HBO show about a bunch of douchebags in Hollywood. Entourage out. movie? Yep. Um, uh, gangsters, and you never know how old anybody is because they're doing facial youngening. Oh, stuff. The Irishman. Yep. Uh, it is a prequel to Lord of the Rings. Uh, the Hobbit. Yep. Um I don't think you've heard any of those. That's what's Tinker Taylor. Uh, they're writing about Watergate and like, are they going to do it? I don't know. It's tough. Uh, all the president's men, uh, but like more, way more recent. And it's Frost Nixon. More recent. They're writing. They're they're newspapermen. They're they're. Oh, the Post. Yes. Um, uh, gangsters again. Seventies. Um, uh, 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 the most famous gangster with the one that started. The Godfather. All, yep. Um, musical France. A France in the 1800s. Brothers, oh, oh, Lemmy's, Lemmy's. Yes. Um, uh, another gangster movie. <laughs> like, Gangs New York. Uh, no, old, older. Uh, um, Scarface. A little more niche. It's like gangster in like the 20s. Um, there's a lot of betrayals, like playing sides against each other. Uh, uh, I'm not gonna. Uh, time's up. Okay, that was Miller's Crossing. Oh, I haven't seen Miller's Crossing. Great movie. All right, eight. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, there's a, a lot of movies. It's funny that the gangster ones are on there, but because gangsters are movie, gangster movies are basically huge casts of 
usually men, men yeah. who are all kind of behaving in similar ways. Yeah. Yeah, because they're a lot of tough guys. Yeah, they're all just being like, hey, yo. Yeah. yeah. There was one in there that I was surprised by because I feel like it wasn't just men. <laughs> um, of the ones we did, uh, The Post? No. Uh, Dunkirk, Dead Poets, Entourage, Irishman, Hobbit, uh, The Post, Godfather, Miller's, Les Mis, Miller's Crossing. Oh, Les Mis. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, is Les Mis like all men? Uh, I think the scenes of like the revolutionaries like Marius oh, that and makes sense. Um, uh, the other guy who has a weird name. Jean Valjean? The the guy the lead, the guy who sings red and black black and red, like red the color of angry men black yeah whiz whiz no I said red and black not black and <laughs> not yellow. black and yellow yeah uh, I I always forget his name but he's just one of the guys in Lame is oh, okay um, I'll see if I can pull it up while talking no yeah, uh, but yeah no I I also confuse those men quite a bit yeah I mean it's tough I mean especially especially when they I'm not going like, to try and pronounce that name yeah that's fine okay a lot of these movies are kind of about like groups and institutions that are male dominated yeah. where because of the institutional identity they all behave similarly yeah which i would say like about the spy the spies is kind of like that because it's like this institution where we all are kind of encouraged to have a similar out viewpoint on life we have a similar goal yeah and the same with the gangster stuff and a lot of the crime stuff yeah and it's very much a theme of many of these movies mm-hmm. like that they're all kind of behaving that like irishman certainly tinker taylor soldier spy certainly yeah Although I would say they're pretty easy to tell apart in Tinker Tail. Like they all they make some pretty distinctive men. Uh yeah. Don't always know what they're doing. I don't know. I maybe it's also the Britishness of it. <laughs> the Britishosity and also the fact that they're they don't you don't it's hard to latch on to what the hell their names actually are. Right. Yeah, never knew like out because And they're all kind of dressed the same. <laughs> the one that throws me is uh Alaline, Toby Jones. They call him Percy at the beginning and the scenes to his face. Yes. And later when they're talking about him, they refer to him as Alaline. And you yes. just kind of have to figure that out. And also the other control they refer to as control. Yeah. So I was confused about what his actual job was because I assumed they would call him control when he became control, but they don't necessarily. They call him Alaline instead. Yeah. So that I mean, I got it the second time, but like the first time, I was very confused by that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's an opaque movie on purpose, and that is to its strength. I think it's one of those things that like is almost impossible to pull off. Like that little help for the audience, but son of a bitch, they did it. Yeah. Pretty, pretty incredibly. I will definitely say I found it. I found it really fun to watch the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was technically my second time, but essentially the first because it's been a long time. I found it very fun to watch the first time, but I just like didn't understand it. But I was like okay with that. Mm-hmm. It was like I felt like I was just like looking at an abstract art piece. I'm like, you know what? Like maybe I'll get it later when I like read about it. Yeah. But I'm just enjoying it for what it is right now. Mm-hmm. And the second time, I found much more enjoyable because you could get on that level, but also know what the hell is going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, uh, credit where it's due. This movie was written by Peter Strout. Straun, S T R A U G H, Strowen, A N. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, and, Strong. And Bridget O'Connor, uh, okay. they're a, a husband and wife writing team, I believe. Oh, interesting. Uh, and Bridget O'Connor died uh, shortly after this movie came out. Movie yeah. was dedicated to her. Uh, brilliantly written movie. Really hard to do this kind of writing. Incredible, they pulled it off. Also, being a couple and writing together seems difficult. I would never feel like it would feel like it would just put a strain on your relationship. Some people just. No, some people just don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like the the kings, the creators of the Good Wife, mm-hmm. uh, they're married couple. They write together, that kind of thing. The kings, that's good. Good writing name. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, they think they go as like I think Robert and Michelle. I forget their names. But anyway, but yeah. they don't go as the kings. It's they like should. The they should be Daniels. They should, they should be <laughs> called kings. kings. <laughs> <laughs> what a flex! They, they don't even need to do that flex. They're already like some of the most powerful showrunners. Yeah, like, but if they were just kings, <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, what should the people? Rate, 
review, subscribe, follow us on TikTok, follow us on Instagram, HBLB Podcast for both. That's it. Smell you later. (laughs) (laughs) Bye forever. (laughs) Smell you later.